0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pods Strickland. I'm your host, Poot, and this is our first post-Thanksgiving pod. This is episode 145. I'm joined uh, today on a very glorious Victory Monday. Um, maybe not in terms of the NFL, but fuck the NFL, because Michigan, the good guys finally won, and we overthrew the evil empire that is Ohio State and Ryan Day's fuckery, uh and the Knicks won. The Knicks won. That cuz this is the next podcast. The Knicks beat Atlanta. Uh you know, erasing all memory of the playoff series. Uh hopefully maybe not really. But still a very very exciting uh victory for the Knicks and one that has led to a very interesting decision from one Tom Thibodeau which we'll discuss with Stacy how are you feeling uh, in the uh, the after the aftermath of what was an epic Saturday?
1: Yeah, I think I'm gonna go to Vegas. Um, you know, <laughs> everything is coming up, Stacy, right now. Um, we won that game. I told myself before the Hawks game too. I was on cloud nine. And I was like, I'm not gonna let this get me down. And then the Knicks played a. Gr- I mean, there were so many things. Um, you know, maybe most notably, seeing what Burks did against Trey Young. And also on his help defense, um, seeing Jericho Sims guard the pick and roll with Capella and is like, man, imagine if we we had this team facing them last year, which I know is an overreaction and all that. We did beat them in the regular season last year, too. But, um, no, everything is coming up well. Uh, The Eagles embarrassed themselves. Uh, Did you even tweet
0: about that yesterday? I didn't see anything. No, I I couldn't.
1: I mean, Giants fans were shitting all over Jalen Hurts. Um, Is that the pot calling the kettle black? Yes should they do they have zero room to ever ever talk shit about anybody after the embarrassment that organization has been no of course not but who cares i mean everything is great and um you know uh the, even the eagles can get me down and that was a really big yeah <laughs> they let's just say that opinion. but i that couldn't was, get mad you know it was actually hilarious
0: watching that because i was at my friend's place and he has like three fucking screens because he's a gender gambler um But he had, uh, so we had, like, the Jets and the Giants game on at the same time, and then we had Reds on the other one. But watching the Jets and Giants yesterday play at the same time, I mean, they both won, but it was, like, honestly, just some terrible football.
1: Um, But but, but here's here's what I would say, right? There is a Hutchinson River Parkway in New York. There is a Hutchinson River Parkway. In the New York area. It is true. Um, Um, So that probably indicates who one of those teams should draft early on. I, I fully agree with that. I mean uh, he's top two in the draft and he ain't two.
0: <laughs> All right, and we are joined uh by a very special guest. You know him as Frank Barrett. What is it? Is it Frank Barrett one nineteen? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's the uh, it's Frank and RJ's numbers, or yeah. I mean the the once Frank's number, he's yeah. now twenty one, but you know. At Frank
0: Barrett thought. eleven nine on Twitter. You know him. As that, uh, his name is actually Jeffrey Campbell. Jeff, what's going on?
2: What's the what's the Campbell bit? I'm confused. That's not my yeah last name.
1: Rasmussen.
0: Oh R- Rasmussen.
1: That's no, there right. is another Jeffrey. There Campbell. is a Jeffrey Campbell. That's why <laughs> I, sometimes something here. I think what? there was like a short period yeah, of time like... where I actually thought um, that was your like real person account. Cool.
2: Say that again. I'm I'm I'm, very, I'm confused.
1: No, I, I, there's a Jeffrey Campbell. And so, um, and that is the name of this Pod Strickland episode. Yeah, title. That's right. Um, but for, when I, when you first, um, for a while I thought that, that was like your, your alter ego and you were the same person. You also, oh, okay. you also switched the O and the E, <laughs> Schwinn, on the, on the podcast. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. like uh, go free now. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, no, no one can see that. Jopper. I saw it and I was, I I was, I was like, there, there's a bit here, but it's just, um, but yeah, we got Joffrey on the
1: pod, you know he's, he's the I, Sorry, I'm you
2: doing. Uh, I'm doing great. I apologize about that; it just threw me for a loop a little bit. I'm not the best improver, but um, I'm doing great. Um, my closest friend is getting married in a few weeks, so I did some suit trying on this afternoon, and yeah, I'm just always excited to talk more about the Knicks with y'all. So thanks for having me out.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Jeffrey Rasmussen, as
2: I obviously
0: totally didn't fuck that up uh but before we get started today uh i would like to inform everybody that the strickland does have a patreon now uh you can subscribe to it uh i would recommend at least subscribing to the six dollar tier which gets you access to pod strickland every friday as well as mine jeremy and drew's mailbag every other week Uh, You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where we talk about the Knicks, surprisingly, all the time. Uh, We also have other channels where people talk about other sports. Today, there's been a lot of Mets chat going on, and miserable Yankees chat, uh, if that is something that interests you. Uh, Also, you can subscribe to the $9 tier, which gets you access to... Great weekly articles from two of the best in the business, uh, Matthew Miranda and Jack Huntley, as well as another another pod where I just yell on my own called Stricken Roll. Uh, in addition, there are further tiers, $15, $30, $50, $100 tiers, uh, which gets you access to a whole variety of other benefits, including watch parties, uh, joining in on pod recordings, uh, even potentially co-hosting a pod with yours truly, and you can tell me I'm a fucking idiot. Um, which, Jeff, feel free to do that right now if you want. Uh, but uh, regardless of whether you subscribe to this podcast, or, sorry, if you subscribe to the Patreon or not, uh, we appreciate your support. Uh, without you, none of this would be possible. But we are going to now transition into the Nick's portion of the podcast. And today, we are recording on Monday, November 29th, One Tom Thibodeau, head coach of the New York Knicks, made a very, very big decision. Uh, He announced today in his press conference that the Knicks will be benching Kemba Walker for the foreseeable future, and Alec Burks will step into the starting point guard role. Uh, I have thoughts on this, Uh, mainly that I think whatever the decision that needed to be made, whoever you think should have been starting a point guard— uh, it was very obvious it could no longer be Kemba Walker. I didn't think it was tenable. I felt pretty strongly about this for a while now. Um, I think all the data bears it out. If you want to go through the on-off stuff, I know all the starters on-off sucks. Uh, funny enough, though, if you put all the star- every other starter with other units, they all magically become very big pluses, um, except for Kemba, who... Look, I I don't like dancing on his grave. I don't, uh, I don't take pleasure in it because it was a fun story. It was a great story. I still think the logic of signing him made a ton of sense. I think it was a really good, worthwhile gamble. And there's a world where potentially he can reinvent himself off the bench here or maybe a trade happens and he finds another home. I don't think he's totally cooked as an NBA player. I just think he's struggling to find how to adjust his game within what are more increasing limitations um you know he's not that all nba guy he can't sustain that type of offensive scoring load over the minutes that he used to he doesn't put the pressure on defenses that he used to and that kind of exacerbates some of his defensive issues uh particularly with that starting group i don't think putting him next to evan Fournier in the backcourt is doing either of them favors defensively uh that compounded a lot of issues uh i think this was the right move um i would have obviously personally i i have been pretty vocal about this i would have preferred that they just went with quickly as a starter but I, I i'm not that upset about it being burks i wasn't even that upset about i know a lot of people were really upset uh when it was announced that burks was going to start the hawks game i didn't really hate it i, I again i would have started quickly but i i kind of got it um i kind of understand you want to keep maybe quickly with Obi off the bench together um those two really have a great synergy so whatever i can deal with it i thought burks I mean, my suggestion was to start Burks over Fournier because I didn't think Tibbs would make this uh, decision with Kemba, especially not this early, but kudos to Tibbs. And I will say this uh, before I turn it over to you guys. There's something to be said about, hey, if you're going to have Fournier, who isn't a great defender but is big, um, just playing two other wings with him and switching a lot, it it, it unlocked a lot of stuff for the Knicks uh, against the Hawks uh, when, once they started being more switch-heavy in that game. And I think it was a good way to kind of hide Fournier and make his kind of his life a little easier defensively. Um, offensively, it'll be interesting to see how it works. I'm actually a little bit bullish about that because I think uh, Burks is pretty good. And I think it- But actually, not the lock Yes, exactly. Uh, but I also think it just simplifies things for Randall. Uh, I know the first half of that game was a real struggle for him, especially the second quarter. I thought he was terrible when he came back in. But uh, the second half, I thought you saw once he got out of his own head- Uh, at the start of the second half, I thought you really saw him kind of just like play the game in a very simple way. And I think playing with Kemba, especially with the way Kemba was playing was really making it difficult for him to just kind of operate however he needs to operate. And with Burks, you know, look, we saw this a bunch last year, right? Um, That Burks, RJ, Bullock, whatever lineup with Randall um, had success. So Anyway, uh I guess I'm, those are my thoughts on it, but I'm going to turn it over to you guys uh to just, you know, uh, I guess Stacy, uh, I'll turn it over to you first what what
1: are your thoughts? I yeah, mean, I I want to say preface this by saying I'm definitely rooting for Kemba Walker. Um I, you know, it, it was great to have him home. Um terrific professional. Um you know, it's good to have him part of the organization. Um so this is um this isn't something that brings me joy in that sense, but it's the right move. Um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I was talking with Jeff about this earlier on Twitter. Um, you know, this Jeff IQ, or Jeffrey Campbell? Uh, <laughs> Joffrey Joffrey Baratheon, actually. Uh, no, um, you know, whether it's IQ or Burks, you can debate that. Um, but I mean, look, what they were hoping to get from Kemba is someone who can get downhill. Someone who can shoot the three and pull up, they like pull up shooting, and they're probably hoping they could cover up for him on defense. Um, Burks, at this point, Burks, peak Burks, even this Burks, is not as good at as Peak Walker as at getting to the getting to the rim, but he's better at it right now. Um, he can shoot the ball better than Kemba can right now, and he's better at creating space. And that's without considering, which I agree you mentioned, in terms of him being able to switch on defense, and that probably is what gives him the edge over Manny quickly um you know i think a lot of people and, and jeff I, I know you're you're on that bandwagon so first of all i obviously am a huge fan of quickly i think uh, along with rj i've made the case that there, i think there is a case that he's an even um stronger asset for the knicks than, than rj long term but i understand if you don't agree with that but that said quickly still has some words in his game that have improved but are, but need to improve even more right he still struggles to that to the rim, although it's more than last year. He still has those has those possessions where he'll pick up his dribble at the free throw line if he can't turn the corner, and then you're just, you know, you have to reset and waste precious seconds. He has those possessions where he dribbles out and, you know, has to take up seven, eight seconds to set up a control roll. These are rare occurrences. He's a very good player, and I wouldn't have been upset with him starting. But In in a weird way, Burks has actually improved on those things from last year when he did hold the ball a little bit more. He's been making quick decisions on offense. He does a good job pushing the pace. Um, But those, I mean, I think on offense, they're pretty much a wash. Um, And I think overall, Quickly is actually a better defender. And um, it'll be interesting, and I hope there's mixing and matching because to Shwini's point, Burks is more switchable. But the downside of that is you know, when you put him on someone like Trey Young or a quick guard, and those guys have caused the Knicks problems, um, I do think IQ is better at that, and he has the length and the, and the superior agility. Whereas Burks has a good agility for his size, but he's not the guy you want chasing around six-one Uh But he will—he will upgrade the defense. He'll upgrade the offense. And um, and the, part of the reason is the Knicks don't really need a true point guard with that starting lineup. Um, you know, there there were things that Kemba brought that the Knicks haven't had at the point guard position. Uh, you know, one of his moves that I really liked was, you know, when they'd swing the ball to him, he does this jab step immediately on the catch, which kind of allows him to to read the defense, right? And they have to react to that, and it gives him a couple of options off the bat. Those kind of creating and anticipating one or two moves away thing, uh, something quickly has flashed. Burks has never really been about that. He's a solid and willing passer, but he's he's strictly like a one read guy, right, and a fast break guy. That's what you lose, but the Knicks haven't really utilized Kemba that way. Anyway, this is still an offense that largely runs through Barrett. Or sorry, to the Randall, you know, through Fournier secondary, and, um, and and then Barrett kind of slashing around that. Burks will give them a little bit more, and and I do think a, a Burks Randall pick and roll uh, pick and roll is is pretty useful, uh, given his pull up gravity. But it's 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 just, this isn't going to help the ball movement in the offense that much. But it will give them what they had hoped Kemba would do on offense, and it should shore them up on defense.
2: Um, yeah, it's tough to disagree with anything you guys, either of you said, because I think we're all in agreement that Kemba just wasn't working. So any discrepancies in our analysis is going to be pretty minor. Um, first of all, I wanted to say, thanks, Schwinn, because I'm never going to live this down for my friends, ever. Um, I have a new name now, thanks to you. I mean, I already, t- I already texted my friends and told them about this intro, and they were like, dude, holy shit. Like- <laughs> love, you- love your
1: soup, yeah. Jeff, by the way. Yes. Yeah, so-, <laughs> <joke.
2: laughs> so so that's dead and gone. That's, that's over with. Um, regarding uh, the lineup change, I think it had to happen. Uh, as you alluded to, I was excited when Kemba came home per se, I thought it was clear he was an upgrade from Elf. Um, But a conversation that I had with my dad the other night uh, really stuck out to me. And that was that just because Kemba was a clear upgrade from Elf doesn't mean he was actually an upgrade. And I feel like we all kind of lost sight of that. And what I mean by that is it was obvious from the 10th game of the season last year that IQ was better than Peyton. And that Peyton was basically unplayable. And then when we got Rose, it was obvious that Peyton shouldn't have been in the lineup at all or in the, in the rotation at all. And so just because we didn't make what was an obvious decision last year, we shouldn't base our upgrades off of that. And, if we had just made, if there's a world where we had started Rose last year or moved quickly to the starting lineup last year, we wouldn't have turned around and been like, okay, we need Kemba Walker. Like even last year's Boston version of Kemba Walker. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at it through that lens, it's really kind of an obvious decision. And at the same time, it's really positive that Tibbs was willing to make it after he wasn't willing to make the obvious decision last year. Um, Which brings us to, should it be quickly or should it be Burks? And I think it really just has to be quickly. And I, I, I know I'm not as high on quickly as Stacy is, but I think I'm higher on, I'm probably higher on quickly than most, but just stylistically, I think that quickly and Rose are sort of, are more redundant than Burks. And I also think that Burks is just unlocked to his full potential as a bench scorer, and more and, and more importantly, as a secondary creator rather than a primary. And moving Burks only to the starting lineup really uh, undoes both of those things because in the starting lineup, he's now the primary ball handler. Even though you know Randall's, it's still going to run through Randall, and he's also not he's not playing off anybody. Like he's not playing off Rose or he's not playing off quickly. And I just think it sort of stretches him a little bit outside of his comfort zone. And I also just think quickly is a better player. I think he's a better distributor. Um, And as far as what Stacy was talking about, defensive versatility covering for Evan, I actually think quickly is more versatile as a defender and I think I would rather have quickly switching on to lengthy wings. I mean, he was awesome against Gallinari last night. He got switched onto him multiple times, and he just is a pest, and he's sneakily long, and I just think he's better at basketball than Burks, and I think it's better short-term and long-term for quickly to be the starter. And I'd be surprised if in 20 games, we as a fan base aren't like, okay, this is better than Kemba, but quickly is the guy that needs to be starting and Burks is just an elite, not just like in a negative way, but he's best suited as an elite bench scorer who can work off Rose and crush other teams' benches with Derek Rose.
0: Yeah. uh, I I don't, I don't really disagree with any of that. Um, I guess. um, I know that like, it does matter to me more who closes games versus who starts games and quickly has demonstrated, or not demonstrated, I should rather say Tibbs has demonstrated that quickly is somebody that, regardless of where he starts in the rotation, be it on the bench or whatever, uh, he will close with him. He closed with him a bunch last year. He's closing with him even more often this year, probably because quickly has gotten even better this year. Um, and there's obviously all the credit that he's getting for that. Um, so. Uh, I I definitely agree with all your points. I do think there's something to be said of you know, is quickly is he better positioned to develop his on-ball guard skills with that bench unit than he would be with the starters? I think that's a pretty fair argument to make because I I do think that's the case because, you know, Stacy pointed out that like, especially
1: with Randall, right? And, yeah, I mean, not to yeah. pile on the Randall thing, but the fact is the ball, the the offense is more heliocentric and less free flowing with the starters, right? So yeah, it's
0: it's the nature of like having somebody who you at least you know right or wrong perceive to be a star. Um, so you know, like it's it, it is what it is. But like, yeah, I mean, I do think I I agree that Burks doesn't necessarily bring a ton more ball movement than Kemba, but I do think that he is. You know, for whatever whatever is going on with Kemba, I don't. It, to me, it's not just physical. I'm sure there's obviously physical elements to it. It's also mental. He, it, it feels like I'm watching a player who's having to deal with basketball mortality staring him in the face, and he's just not sure how to adjust and kind of lengthen his career and and, and change his game. Um, I think Burks is, adds a level of decisiveness to the starting lineup, which has been missed. Uh, I also think that he's a player who. You know, I mean, there are times where his lack of a conscience, I guess you can say, uh, is grating. But it's also something that helps to, to, to give the offense and the team in some capacity an identity. Uh, they know what they're getting from Burks consistently game in, game out. Uh, and I'm not talking about making or missing shots. So obviously, we've seen games where Burks goes 2 of 9, 3 of 10, whatever it is. Uh, just more in terms of how he plays. You know what you're getting from him every night. And I think his defense has been excellent this year. Um, actually, I mean, I think it's actually been better this year than I remember it being last year. Um, I think he's a pretty good point of attack defender. I think he's also capable of switching onto wings, obviously, given his size. Uh, he can play on ball. He can play off ball. He can pull up off the dribble. He can also spot up. Like he, He's a versatile player in terms of the roles that you could designate, designate him. And obviously quickly is too, but I do think, the argument for keeping quickly on the bench uh, is one that is actually a little bit more reasonable than it might seem on the surface, just in terms of how you're trying to develop him or planning on developing him and, and what you think is best, what role is best for him to kind of continue to, um, you know, get those in-game reps to expand on the skills that he'll ultimately need to, to hone and fine tune to be, Uh, a a capable lead guard in the nba Uh, and i think it's easier for him to do that off the bench and i think what's great is we know that when he is playing well like tibbs will he's happy to close with him and i and what i will say about the hawks game and which was really encouraging to me is that even when uh julius came back in particularly in the second half and quickly was on the floor with him uh i thought you saw quickly show a command of the offense uh i thought you saw him kind of direct randall like hey look like you're going to get the ball. Just let me get you the ball where you need to get it. Um, and I think you saw that more with Burks too, throughout the game. Whereas with Kemba, uh, it often felt like he just got Randall the ball because he was expected to get Randall the ball, but it wasn't like he didn't get him the ball in, you know, quote unquote his spots, right? Like he, he wasn't really working to, to create a more favorable advantage for Julius and uh, just to go back to quickly, real quick, I thought it was encouraging to see at the end of that game, he was still pushing the tempo quite a bit throughout the second half. Um, I mean, the first half he was like shot out of a cannon, the the speed he was playing at. But uh, even in the second half, even in crunch time, I thought he did a good job of getting the Knicks into the offense. The Knicks didn't necessarily connect on a lot of shots down the stretch, um, but their uh, their defense obviously made it so that they didn't need to. And also just like, it, to me, they just missed shots. It wasn't about actually getting into the offense uh, too slow or not getting into shot or not getting decent shots, it was just about connecting on them, and that's something that they need to improve, but like you know both the Lakers game and the the Hawks game, I thought uh late in those games with quickly on the floor, even though they weren't uh making shots, I thought they got a lot of good offense, especially you know when you adjust for kind of the nature of late game n b a play the intensity picks up defenses pick up um I thought they did a good job of working possessions and getting decent shots, so um, you know, for quickly's long term development, I don't think it's that big a deal if he doesn't start. Um and I will say this, I think if he just keeps playing at the level he's playing at, like eventually that 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 decision is just gonna be made for tips, you know. Like I as much as the Kemba situation and the decision that has been made um is about his struggles and kind of unlocking the starting group and getting them going and, and not starting every game and every half in like this kind of uh lethargic just dreariness. Um, I do think a lot of that is also says something about quickly, um, because this is not we're moving Kemba to the bench, right? This is Kemba's out of the rotation, and I don't think he makes that decision if quickly isn't playing at the level he's playing at. Um, well,
1: he can I ask you something about like that? Yeah. Q- um, okay. Well, if if so, they, the I don't think he's answered this, but if they were to take Kemba out of the rotation, which they will. Uh, the options are a nine-man rotation or replacing him in the rotation with someone else. That someone else, ostensibly, Quentin Grimes, had a pretty good game against Atlanta. Every time he's played, he has looked very much ready for the moment, particularly on defense, but the shot is there. It he could had be like three shots for him out. He had
0: like what? three shots for like, yeah. him out. He, so he's cool. a
1: shooter, right? Yeah. We're not talking—I'm not trying— like. Whatever your thoughts on Frank, like until last year he hadn't shown the ability to shoot. I thought last year he had that ability, but even an improved Frank shooting the ball is not on Grimes's level. And Grimes gives you a similar level of defense. Not quite the crazy length, but he's a very instinctive guy. Tenacious at the point of attack. How much do you think Grimes plays into this, or do you think not at all? In in terms of this decision, to to your point, not just take Kemba to the bench, but take him out of the rotation. Um, I think i don't think he factors into that decision i don't think it hurts though
0: like i think tibbs definitely i think tibbs really likes him to be honest like there was actually a moment in the atlanta game uh he got pissed at Br- Br- grimes about something and he called the timeout immediately was like reaming him out but the positive thing was out of the timeout grimes was still in the game and then he put him back in in the second half also like I think he really likes Grimes. Uh, He's gone to him when we've looked for a spark in various games too. Like that Cavs game, obviously Rubio lit it up, but like I thought Grimes' defense on him was about, I mean, I didn't think he did anything wrong on defense. Uh, Rubio was just in a zone by that point of the game. Um, And yeah, to your point, I don't don't think he's influencing the decision, but I don't think it hurts, right? Like we know that Tibbs to some extent, like for a guy who has the label of riding his starter super hard, and that is true to an extent, he also loves having his, like, 10-man rotation and five-man bench units. You know, like, he he likes having that. And the thing with Grimes that he probably likes, like, he's a switchable defender. He's talked uh, Tibbs has talked a lot about rebounding issues, and the Knicks have had a lot of rebounding issues early the season. Grimes is a really good rebounder for a win. Like, really, really active, closes possessions. You know, he's not— Leaking out immediately, right? Like when the shot goes up, his his brain isn't like, all right, my job is over. Let me go run down the floor and try and get it like an easy hoop somehow in transition. He's like, no, no, I'm he's crashing the glass. I think that's a big thing. Um, the fact you know, we just don't have that many wings on the team, I think that that definitely helps his cause. Uh, and you know, to your point, NBA ready, like it's not so much about making or missing shots, It's, it's so easy to just plug him into various lineups that the Knicks have, right? Like he, because the Knicks have pretty solid amount of shot creation grimes doesn't have to like like you can get away with grimes being a bit more limited right now and i think we've already seen signs that like yeah as a shot creator he's probably a bit limited but i don't think he's a zero with the ball in his hands right like that lob he had to obi i mean i know it was trey young but like he did put the ball behind his back um and, and throw like a pretty great lob to him in transition um like he's he's not a zero so i don't know if it influences him but i do think it it just makes it even an easier decision, right? Where you're like, well, even if I have come out of the rotation, I and I do want to go 10 deep. I still like I still have this kid who I like. And I, and look, like if Grimes is in the rotation, um you know, like I think that's a big win for the Knicks as an organization in terms of it will show that they're not making decisions based on paycheck on like name value like the the name of the of the player like it's it's actually based on what is helping the team and and also it it says something about the fact that they can draft guys 25 in the draft that their coach feels comfortable playing early in their rookie season on a team that isn't just like you know looking to like develop something but is actually trying to win also trying to win games Um, I think it says something that that would be quite a feather in the cap for the, the, the front office and the scouting department. If Grimes is, I mean, I look, he he, drafting a quickly at 25 is not that that should not be par for the course, but if he's just like a solid rotation piece, um, I mean that, that would say a lot. And I know like, you know, uh, Jeff, I want to get your thoughts on this too, but like, you know, Stacey, just throw it back to you. And then Jeff, you know, please chime in, um. But I know that you weren't huge on the Grimes pick. Is that something that you've kind of, like, mellowed a bit on since since seeing him in Summer League and all that kind of stuff, or what?
1: Um, I think Grimes has just been... I was higher on McBride. Um, Grimes is just... Um, he has the bigger size, uh, and he's not playing a position where the Knicks do have depth. Um... I also think his shot is a little further along than McBride, who I do expect to be a very good shooter. Um, and the gap between, I do think McBride is a better on ball defender, but again, Grimes has the versatility and is pretty damn good on ball as well. No, I mean, I felt for a while, here's the thing, right? You don't want to rip Kemba, but taking a guy who was struggling um, and was a negative on defense to a guy who might struggle at a lot of the same things as Kemba but can hit open threes and play good defense, like placing Grimes with Kemba or Kemba with Grimes, that's pretty damn good. Um, and so, and, and I think that, yeah, like even without Kemba, you have Fournier, you have RJ who can be a little mercurial. Um, you have Rose who is not consistent on defense. Injecting a guy like Grimes in there, he's a good thing. Um, and, he, and he helps them play faster. I mean, he had an amazing play that was really eye-opening getting the ball down the court, he went behind the back, and then in one motion, pretty much, threw up an underhanded lob to Obi. Now, it didn't have to be the most accurate lob, because Obi, Obi is basically <laughs> Calvin Johnson, but um, sorry, 6'9", Calvin Johnson, with even more hops. 6'9", um, nice. And nice. <laughs> um, but it shows you, and I mean, I, I said this before, I, I think Grimes and McBride are um, you know, Grimes and McBride would probably be playing for a lot of other teams. You know, this is just a playoff team. But they, they every time they come in, they've showed, they haven't looked overwhelmed by the moment, right? And,
0: and uh, especially Grimes, I will say, just because of like what he is as a player, like right, the threshold for McBride is probably higher because he's going to be on ball more. You get what I mean? Like, I think with Grimes, because he's more of a, at least he can slot in as a, a like a, a, an an off ball wing it makes the threshold for what you need from him a little lower, right? You get what I mean?
1: Yeah, Exactly. So um, I, I hope this is a 10-man rotation um, and that that's what happens with Grimes's minutes. Uh, I think there is an absolute debate at the center position, which we can get into afterwards. Um, but overall, I think there's fair points for both Burks and Quickly. I given and it's also like the thing is this right on the one hand I do worry about putting quickly with the starters because it's not like he gets to play in a free-flowing offense he gets more freedom it's a great place for him to grow and to be more impactful whereas um you know the, the starting lineups offense does seem to be much more heliocentric on the other hand um, could Burks exacerbate those issues? This year, I think he's actually been pretty good at making quick decisions with the ball in his hands. In fact, I think he's been better at that than Quickly, even though Quickly is a better passer overall and makes better decisions and a better vision. Like, Burks gets more tunnel vision, but he's like he's like a one-cut runner, right? That's the term used for running backs. Burks is a one-cut runner, but this year he's been making that one-cut quick cut pretty quickly, which could help the offense, but it could also, we've seen last year at times with him just... Also falling in iso mode, and then if it becomes Randall and Burks taking turns, that's not where the offense wants to go. Um, but I mean, it, but then in that case, I mean, if this turns into basically last year's starting offense with last year's starting defense, even that would be an upgrade. Um, like if you had, like, I think Burks is at least as good as Alfred Payton on defense. I think he's significantly better.
0: What do you but think about we- their offensive
1: comparison? Yeah, I mean that that would be a hell of a three-point contest. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of Alfred Payton, I would have said last year one of Alec Burks' things was that he wasn't great at getting over screens, and that's I I can't say enough about his defensive improvement this year Uh, at every facet. I think quickly is a little quicker on ball, Um, but getting over screens, the off like off ball, Burks was a space cadet last year. Um, There was one play that I highlighted today, but I think Benji actually posted it, but it's been happening all season long. Um, The Knicks hedged a pick and roll with Jericho Sims, and Capella had a free run to the rim. Burks was in the corner and had the tag responsibility, except the guy he was guarding was Trey Young. So that's a no-win situation, right? He cut off the pass to Trey Young and recovered to... now. If they had thrown an alley-oop to, to Capella, maybe that works. I mean, Burks is Michael Jordan, but they couldn't because of the hedge. But they still had Capella on a free run, and Burks got his head read on and got there and picked it off, and then he re- led a fast break, right? Um, he is going to be massively impactful on, on defense. And to the extent there might be consternation about starting him or quickly, like, let's not get it twisted. Burks is one of the most valuable players in this team right now. And um, and the talent's been there. He just, he's just bearing it out.
0: Um, yeah, what are your uh uh Jeff, I know that you've um you've seen I mean you you always do the film stuff for for the Strickland. What have you seen from Grimes? Um, just when you've watched him, like have you been impressed? I mean, i I have. Like I I I've been impressed with him going back to Summer League, which I know sounds stupid because it's fucking Summer League. Um but what I liked about watching in Summer League had nothing to do with him offensively it was all about kind of I thought his defense there really stood out in terms of talking, directing guys. Does that stand out to you uh when you're watching him on film too?
2: Uh absolutely. And uh I think you touched upon a really good point regarding the uh the draft that I think goes underrated a lot of times. And that to me is that when you're a bad team and you're drafting in the lottery versus when you're a Good team, which the Knicks randomly became last year, all of a sudden your draft st- strategy is totally different, and you go from drafting for ceiling versus trying to draft for who can fill in role player things that you need. And there's actually a lot less volatility in the latter, even though you're picking from a worse pool of players. And so it's why you see so many guys in the five to 15 range who are just, it's like, how did they get drafted so high? But then they're just busts because they're being drafted for, Oh, they can reach an all-star or higher level because I see X, Y, or Z in them. Whereas a guy like Grimes, he doesn't have, you know, a very high ceiling. He doesn't have, he's probably not going to be an all-star or, you know, better but he was drafted because he can just fill in and play next to all-stars. He 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 can just immediately contribute on defense. And he's got that great shooting form where he doesn't need the ball in his hands and he can space for Randall or for R.J. Barrett. And to your point, in summer league, even though the shots weren't necessarily falling, he came in and he immediately showed that. He immediately showed that he could play off the ball and he could rise and fire with confidence. And on defense, he would communicate and he would be in the right spots and he could guard multiple positions. And it's been extremely encouraging to see him come in to NBA games and just that's carried over almost seamlessly. So I agree with you that Grimes has been very promising, not from a ceiling perspective, but from a... I think his median is much safer and much higher than you would have expected given how draft experts felt about him and just what you would expect from, as you alluded to, the average mid-20s pick. Um, I I like him a lot, and the same kind of with Sims. I know we're going to talk about him later, but there was a lot of stuff in Summer League that you saw and you thought, wow, like this is just something that this is a role player thing that can just fill in right away. He's, you know, he's not Mitch, but he has better hands than Mitch and he's got the size and athleticism. And you saw that against the Hawks as well. He just, he's got that wide frame. He's already a better screen setter. Um, So, yeah, I mean, sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent there, but to bring it back to Grimes, to bring it back to Grimes, I absolutely agree with you, and I love everything I've seen from him. And I think it's a really interesting debate as to whether Tibbs is going to go to a 10-man rotation or a 9-man rotation because I see uh, positives to both outcomes. For me, a 10-man rotation is good because it's, it would be making the exact change that I think we should have made, and I, I think many people think we should have made last year. And that would have been to put Rose or IQ in the starting lineup and pull Peyton and add Frank in the wing role in, in the Reggie role when Reggie isn't in the game. And if we go to a 10 man rotation, we're essentially doing that with Kemba instead of elf and then pulling Kemba from the rotation, inputting Burks into the starting lineup and then moving Grimes into the wing role off the bench. And I think that would be really good for Grimes' development. Um, yeah, I think that's the main positive is you get Grimes some very valuable developmental minutes. But to me, a nine man rotation, as much as I love Grimes, the big positive in that, and I posted this on Twitter today, is that it really forces Tibbs' hands and doesn't let him fall back on okay, we've got our starters and we've got our bench unit, and I'm just going to treat them like hockey shifts, and our starters will start the game and uh then we'll sort of casually move it to our bench guys are in the middle of the game and then whoever's hot will end the game and I think a nine-man rotation really forces him to see okay let's mix and match who plays well together who who uh who can I put with the bench that plays well at the bench and specifically that could be really good for RJ Barrett who let's say Tibbs does something like um, pulls RJ halfway through the first and then starts the second with four bench guys plus RJ. I think that would really benefit him, uh, in multiple, multiple areas. He gets to play against worse players because he's playing against opposing benches. He has more control of the offense because he's higher in the pecking order than, you know, the, the, the bench guys. Um, and that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's plenty of other areas where, you know, I, I tweeted today, what if Tibbs did something like he, he cross-substituted with a nine-man rotation and he brought Obi in for Mitch to finish the first quarter and finished the first quarter with Obi and Randall together and then he started the second quarter with Obi and Noel when Randall hits the bench. And so I think a nine-man rotation really unlocks all these things that, to be honest, the last 90 games we as fans couldn't even dream of because Tibbs was so rigid. With his, I've got my starters and I got my bench and these are the rotations. Um, I, I really think it unlocks, unlocks possibilities and unlocks our ceiling as a whole.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I still think that like you can do that with like while finding Grimes some minutes. And I actually I wouldn't mind like I don't need Grimes to play a lot. I just think even giving him like ten minutes a game would be nice. Like I, I think that he's good enough, and I think like. Like, for me, um, a player like him can benefit from 10 minutes a game, whereas somebody like McBride, who I think has a bit more, um, you know, again, like his role and what he's going to be in the league, I think that threshold is higher, and he needs a lot more reps, and I think he needs 30 minutes. So I think giving him more time in the G League, which the Knicks seem okay with doing, makes a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, you know, I... With with Grimes, I just think like you give him five minutes each half. That's going to go a long way for him, just finding him, his a rhythm and, and getting there. Uh, as far as what you said about RJ though, that is key. Like our, and I think Tibbs has actually shown last couple of games uh, a greater willingness to play, like to to change his rotations because we know, like you mentioned just there, Jeff. Uh, we know that Tibbs has, likes his five man hockey sub stuff, and you know I get that, and it's been productive for the Knicks in some ways. I do think that like RJ would benefit a lot from playing with that second unit. That group that played in the second quarter against Atlanta was super fun. Um, It was quickly, it was RJ, it was Grimes, it was OB and it was uh, Sims. They were super, they got up and down the floor. Uh, You could see the kind of energy and effort defensively just flying around that kind of like youthful exuberance that exists so that even if you're fucking up on defense, you just have so much energy, you can cover it up. Um, I think you saw that all come to bear and I thought RJ had not surprisingly one of his better games, lately, uh, arguably right. his best game in the last few weeks. So, uh, that was really good to see. Um, and, and I do think that's something that Tibbs maybe is coming around on that. Like he needs to to play RJ with that group a little bit more so that he can find himself. And, and and I don't know, it just, it just feels like a little bit more easy for him to to slot in there where he gets his on ball reps, but like, if he fucks up, it doesn't, like, feel like this monumental, you know, oh, my God, why didn't you just give the ball to Julius or give the ball to Burks or, like, kick the ball out to Fournier or whatever. Like, you know, he's he's got a little bit more latitude with that group. Um, and, yeah, look, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Sims. I, I think it's uh, a little s- bit pretty...
2: Schwinn, Schwinn, can I uh, jump in? One, one, yeah, one thing yeah, I yeah, absolutely. To, just one last thing about RJ um, before we move on to Sims. I, I, I do think it's important to uh, add a caveat that the way that Tibbs got RJ those minutes with the bench in turn, if you recall, he just played the first 16 minutes of each half and that was it. I don't think that's sustainable at all. And I think Tibbs, if he wants to get RJ those minutes, has to be more willing to do multiple substitutions. I don't think, because first of all, as we saw in that game, it's going to be really hard for RJ to end games even when he's playing well. He played a really good game. It was silly he didn't end that game. And I understand that Burks and Quickly and Fournier was having a good game too. But when you combine Tibbs being able to justify well, I mean, Barrett just played the first 16 minutes in a row and th- those guys also being in the rotation, it's going to be really hard for RJ to end games when he's playing well. So I think that Tibbs has to be a little bit. Uh, less. Uh, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Stubborn, I guess. In terms of okay, well, I just have these long shifts and that's it. I, I think if he wants to get RJ those minutes with the bench, especially at the start of the second quarter, it has to be RJ comes out, you know, around halfway or mid or three quarters of the way through the first, and then he comes back in to start the second. I don't think he can spend every game playing two 16 minute shifts and that's it. So I just wanted to throw that in
0: um yeah no i agree i thought it was kind of weird that rj didn't close i it's it's really hard though right now and i kind of get it because it's like he like tibbs is just like we look we fucking blew what two games against the magic and a game against i I don't want to say blew the game against cleveland because cleveland's actually been good but it was not competitive. It was that. more like
1: tickling the balls than blowing the game. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably
1: an interesting
0: way of putting it. Uh, but it was it was not competitive. We've just we've we've punted on too many games where it just feels like we have pissed away opportunities that shouldn't have been pissed away. Um, and so, I think right now he's very much in like, I'm just trying to get us across the finish line in XYZ games mode. Um, I think if the Knicks were sitting at like, let's say the Knicks can string together, they, let's say they go 7-10 and 10 in the next 10 games, uh, which would be awesome, by the way. 7-3,
1: uh,
0: right? Oh yeah, 7-3. and three. So that would put them at, what, I think 18-12? and 12. Is that correct? Yeah. My head? Uh, I think then you would see him feel more comfortable like, you know, because Quickly was playing really well and Burks had it going and Fournier's shot was going. I think maybe in that situation he'd be like, no, you know what, I need to get RJ in here. He's got to like, we'd, we just got to close this out and figure it out. I think he might, he'd
1: be more willing yeah, to do that, that. I yeah. also think, given that you bring up the record, right? Uh, it's interesting to note because a lot of fans on Twitter, um, and I have seen the wisdom in this 11 and 9, that's forty win, 44 win uh, pace, right? Which is less than last year's pace, but probably where most of us would have expected them to be. Um, you can say that there were, you know, some easy games they blew. You can say the schedule is going to get harder, but. They're not really behind schedule, and one would have thought that, given Tibbs as, you know, if it w- if it isn't broke, don't fix it philosophy last year. Not with not just with Elf, but there might have been an argument to to start Burks or something like that over Bullock. Uh, it was surprising that he made this aggressive move, which tells me that he kind of has um, bigger goals this season. Uh, I I really do think last year he may have been in the mode of focus on the process build an identity and, and go from there and this year i think he's more willing to say no we got to win games um we are too good to be playing this poorly and and as much as a lot of Knicks fans probably don't agree with it uh, if you look at this team 11-9 and is underachieving um you know uh, people not everyone like the Evan Fournier acquisition but the reality is he's a very talented player he's been putting 17-18 points up on good efficiency for the last couple of years and if he's not getting it done if Brando's, not getting it done. I mean, fair or not, it comes down to the point guard, but um, the larger point is, I think Tibbs is going to be more aggressive this year than we've seen because there is an ex. there's, I, I don't know if it's front office pressure. It's probably more pressure from himself. To be honest, if we know how Tibbs is wired. So
0: Tibbs does not want to go from 41 and 31 to the same, you know, like he's yeah. like, no, we got to get to 48 and 34. Now I got to get to 50. Like he he knows he's talent like of nice. this
1: team. And like, I, I like. There's one person, you know. Kemba was dis- disappointing so far. I, st- I hope he can kind of carve out some kind of a role. Maybe it'll be like Gary Payton on the Heat or something like that. Um, not oh, to say God. that we're gonna win the championship. Yeah, uh, we are.
0: We are winning now <laughs> that we made this move. Uh, the uh, championship. But, yeah, is Gary good. Payton obviously
1: wasn't Gary Payton anymore, but he played, um, uh, you know, a, a role on that the team. Um, obviously Wade and, to lesser extent, Shaq were the the keys. But, um, you know, or, or even, you know, Anthony Carter on that whole Knicks team, right? That's insulting to Kemba. But, um, you know, he can play that. But overall, I don't think you'll see as much complacency from Tibbs. And, and, and with Kemba, you know, I, I can understand that people think that was a bad acquisition. I'm not giving up on Evan Fournier because I've seen what he brings to this team when he's engaged and clicking with, with the other guys on the floor. And I still think that's a high leverage thing. And maybe Burks gets him going. Maybe he needs to play with IQ. Maybe that'll happen. But um, no matter what, I expect Tibbs to be less complacent, and, and this was a very encouraging sign for that. For that, yeah.
2: Do you I, guys, I, do you guys think ahead. that uh, Fournier and Randall uh, Tibbs views their minutes, at least on Fournier's end, obviously not on Randall's end, just because he plays more minutes. But do you think he is going to try and handcuff them as much as possible because and try and build their chemistry? Yes. with like the handoffs. Yes, and if so. So, don't you think there's a world where uh, Obi and Fournier can also build that chemistry together? Like with how yes. willing a connector Obi is on the dribble handoffs and
0: the the answer to all of your questions is yes. Um, but like, look, it, the, ultimately this is this is what it comes down to. Like Tibbs has to grow as a coach too. Like like as much as players need to develop, like we all have been frustrated as hell watching RJ the last couple of weeks. And finally against the Lakers uh, and, and, you know, against the Hawks, it felt like, okay, like he's snapping out of it. Maybe something was going on, who knows? But, you know, you want to see that progression from players, right? Like we've been super enthusiastic about the fact that quickly and OB are making leaps. Quite frankly, I, I mean, the OB leap, I guess it is really significant I would say, like, maybe because he's older and that, like, you know, maybe that, that's not as crazy, but like, I think both of their leaps, if you had told me before the season, I would have been like, hell yeah, like, that's fucking great. I would not have expected them to make the, the progress they've made already. Um, so, like, obviously, we want that, but like, also then it becomes incumbent on the coach to develop with the team, right? With a, a more talented roster. And, um, you know, I think he's still finding his way too, right? Like, he, I, I'm sure in his, in his, like you know in his heart deep down inside i know that he knows that like the ob randall combination is something that has value and he needs to like kind of unlock to maybe get the most out of this team's offensive talent and just general ceiling but like how do you do that how do you get to that point you know what's the best way to do it i think he struggles with that like we know he struggles with that it's not a thing like, we know he struggles with that and his biases in terms of his preferences of what he wants on the floor at any given time like he is not comfortable playing without a room protector right like and and that always will influence his decision making but like you know we've heard him say enough times about like ob has improved defensively and there are teams that play without you know, true centers lie. Like he said this stuff on the record. So it's not like he's unaware of these things. It's just hard when you're in the moment to make those decisions, especially when you have strong opinions of like what will help you win games the most. Um, what you want to see is just progress, right? Like you just want to see him play it more. And yeah, it helps that because of injuries like Obi and Randall have probably played more earlier this season together than anybody would have anticipated and or more than even Tibbs would have preferred. Um but like, does he take that information? Does he learn from it? Um, I I will say I'm a little bit hesitant to believe that, but also I didn't think that he was going to bench Kemba 20 games into the season. You know, like I definitely didn't expect that even as bad as Kemba has played. And so clearly this is not a guy who's scared of making big decisions. He just, is always going to be influenced to some degree by certain biases he has and that's okay it's just something that you want to see develop and progress as the season goes along and um you know look let's be you know completely honest here like obi has i mean obi played a lot against the the lakers in the fourth quarter and i know randall was in foul trouble but like last year even if randall was in foul trouble do you think there's any chance that obi would have played the vast majority of a fourth quarter of a close game? I don't. Like, I think that he would have just, it would have been like, hey, Julius, don't pick up another foul, please. Figure it out. Um, and I thought he played, I mean, look, he played just 16 minutes against the Hawks. But like, if you tell me that for the rest of the season, Obi is going to be hovering between 16 and 20 minutes, I am pretty okay with that. Um, and actually, if you look back, going back to game 12 of the season, which was the loss to Milwaukee at home, uh, these are his minutes every game okay uh against milwaukee 20 minutes 47 seconds charlotte 15 minutes 15 minutes 8 seconds indiana 15 minutes 48 seconds orlando 17 minutes 36 seconds houston 1437 uh chicago 1306 that was the one i think we all agreed he should have played way more uh lakers 2139 phoenix 1346 Uh, i actually suspect he would have played more in that game if it hadn't just gone into like preservation of guys minutes because we're in a back-to-back mode uh and then atlanta 16 minutes 17 seconds so he's mostly played about 15 minutes here for a decent stretch here like i i do think that it's slower than we'd expect than, than we want but i i mean look tibbs again tibbs wants to win games he knows like he has all these analysts on his staff he's aware of who is helping him right now to win games the most but ultimately he also has to try and figure out like how can I unlock this starting group? How do I get more out of Julius Randle? How do I get more out of RJ Barrett? How do I get more out of Evan Fournier? Because unless he does that, the ceiling of this group is limited. No matter how well Obi and, and quickly are playing, that's not a knock on those guys, but you need your starters to play well. That's just how it works. Um, and so he's going to be annoying at times with minutes because of that. But I do think that like he understands exactly what, obi is doing on the court like I, I i think he gets that pretty clearly and he definitely knows what quickly does for him on the court so um you know uh it's frustrating at times but you know i i, I i'm generally pretty optimistic about kind of you know does tibbs quote unquote get it uh i i think he does get it with those guys
1: yeah no, I'll, I'll i'll add on that um so i do believe in the randall fournier connection um if you look at their minutes so Fournier and Randall together, with Kemba Walker, that lineup has played the lineups with those three have played 416 minutes, negative 12 net rating. But Evan Fournier and Julius Randall together without Kemba Walker have played 138 minutes, 12.93 positive net rating. The offensive rating goes up to 110.79. The defensive rating, which is at 118.92 when they play with Kemba, goes down to 100 uh um sorry to 97.86 which is great um which kind of pokes holes in the theory that evan fournier is submarining evan fournier and randall are submarining the Knicks defense um now you can say some of that is against bench lineups and all that but it's 138 minutes that's not a small sample um so those two together have chemistry in the offensive end and they don't alone kill you on defense we see the plays that they have we know Evan fournier is vulnerable to quick perimeter players we know randall can be up and down on defense and it's been more down this year but you can construct very good defensive lineups around them and i think that that dhl chemistry is there um so i i, I would say that and, and no i don't think you would actually have the same with Obi. um i think ob would play well with fournier but he doesn't give you what Randall gives you in shot. It's just not a thing. He doesn't have the quickness, he doesn't have the skill, he doesn't have the shooting ability. Um, you know, when you have two guys who run that action and both can pop, both can get to the rim, that matters. Um, and you need them to play well together. So I'd echo what Schwinn said. Uh, I think I'd give that pairing more time. And I think Burks will help open that up more on both ends.
2: Yeah. I just want to add in about uh, the OB and IQ minutes with Tibbs. I agree with everything you said, Twin. especially regards to him getting it. Um, and I'm not, especially after the last few games, remotely worried about quickly anymore. He's going to play. Like, it's clear Tibbs loves him, and he's going to play. So even if Burks starts the rest of the year, that's not as big a concern as it was last year. For starters, because Burks is way better than the guy we had starting last year. But also because I think Tibbs thinks higher quickly right now than he did last year, and I think that he's just going to play. Um, and I agree with you that uh, he sees what Obi's doing and he sees his improvement, where I would push back a little bit um, and where I think his bias comes into play, and it's not just a bias against rim protection, it's also just a bias against younger guys. I, I think that Obi is a good rim protector. And I think he's shown his block rate is like 5% or something this year. And I'm not saying he's Noel. Of course not. There's very few people who are Noel. But I think that when you combine what Obi has done at the rim in terms of protecting it with how the Randall-Obi combination has performed offensively, I think it's just, I think it's a clear bias that's holding him back from playing them together. Um, he, he's just, he's just looking at what Obi can't do compared to Noel and not what he can do. Um, and I think that if, when you say, well, he just wants to win, how is there someone that's not like, well, here's what here. And and you also said he wants to unlock Randall. How is there not someone who's saying to him, well, here's what their offensive rating is together. And here's how Randall's performed when he plays next to Obi." here's a clear path to unlocking Randall and getting him even more space. I I, I don't really get that. And I think it's a bias that hurts both Obi's development and the team in the short.
1: Yeah. I, I push back on that a little bit. Um, Noel, I think has his, his weaknesses. Um, but as I mentioned before, it's really Kemba that's hurting those Fournier-Randall lineups. Um, the other thing I'll say, I mean, you have to, when you talk about these randall Obi lineups, you do have to account for the fact that they are deployed strategically, right, in, ter- in favorable matchups. Now, should he use it more? I, I'm 100% on board with you there, Jeff. But, um, you know, I went on a pod last weekend um, with Nolan Aretano, uh Corner 3 pod, great pod. Uh, if you're a Knicks fan, um, highly recommend following them. How good can it be if you're on it? <laughs> they they, <laughs> they reach the bottom of the barrel sometimes, but uh, they, the, the, those I was lucky to be on there. Um. No, but you know, um, I was saying that you know this is before the Hawks game. I was like, there is no reason for Jericho Sims to be getting minutes if Obi Toppin is available. And the Hawks game proved me wrong. Um, first of all, I, we have to shout out Kenny Payne. This is an unbelievable. Like the the Jericho Sims we saw yesterday, and it wasn't just against backups. He was playing against Clint Capella uh, and Trey Young, and an offense that. We saw what they did to the Knicks last year, and he hedged. Uh, the Knicks were playing good health defense around him. He ran the floor. He did not look lost at all. That is a transformation from even even summer league. He had his moments against summer league, but he also looked very lost in pick and roll coverage on defense in general. He, he got some big blocks just because of how big he is and strong. But even freshman or Ricky or Mitch was miles ahead of Jericho Sims. And, you know, early in the season, I thought he was a big-time project. I didn't even see it panning out. And, you know, one game shouldn't shift your view that much. But he was outstanding. And you see what that kind of a rim protector does. Now, do I think Obi can be that? To an extent, yes. Uh, he doesn't have Sims' mobility, you know, side to side as much. But he is good at he's good at moving in a straight line. And he's good at contesting shots. Tibbs recognizes that because that's how he's deployed Obi. He uses it more in hedge situations. He allows him to stay on the back line and, again, contest straight up, contest in a straight line, but doesn't make him make too many complex reads. Um, I, think, I think, I mean, um, you know, you hate to pick on Roland Noel; He brings them a different element, but he is more of a change of pace big than a guy you want relying on for big minutes. Uh, I think Mitch was showing good signs before he got hurt. And I think, but I also think for backup bigs, just, I still just, lean tired
0: just over Jericho. Yeah. Uh When you mean when you say Mitch got hurt, you're talking about when he got concussed, right? Not when he got hurt last year.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about this year. Before the yeah, this year when he got concussed, right before that he was showing good signs. Obviously, last year he looked like he had transformed. Um, but he was his like I think a lot of people are making. Prez has mentioned this a lot, making a lot of his weight gain. But I still think that mobility is there. He just has to get used to it. Um, he said that himself. He's not at 100 percent yet um so i think mitch and then i still would go Todd um but i think that that ob lineup to jeff's point is um they're gonna need it like that's what they didn't have last year it's like something in your back pocket when other te- when you know atlanta sh- shifted their strategy that took julius out uh they left noel alone you need something in your back pocket that you can unleash on teams right um Golden State did that with the death lineup, and then it turned into a mainstay for them. That's what the hope would be with this OB lineup, but it's going to start as a change of pace, and I'm okay with that. I think he needs to start going to that a little bit more, but that's kind of where I'm at on
2: that. Yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. You you just you just said it perfectly, Stacy. Uh, what I'm saying is isn't that Jericho Sims should have seen zero minutes, or that Nerlens Snowell should see zero minutes, because especially against certain teams, you need rim protection almost the entire game. All I'm saying is that for Jericho Sims and Taj Gibson to get coaches, DNPs every game were fully healthy, to okay, Noel's Noel's out and Taj is out, so all right, Jericho Sims, you're now the backup too. You're playing more minutes than Obi. That's just like insane to me. And and we were yeah, playing I, a I team, agree with that, yeah. We were we were we were playing a team that their backup center was Danilo Gallinari or John Collins. So like I'm not saying even last game. I loved what Jericho Sims did. I'm glad he played as much as he did because he was great, and I'm glad we got to see it. But all you have to do is flip the rotations a little bit and find a middle ground, just a tiny middle ground, and say Obi plays 23 minutes instead of 16, and Jericho Sims is the one that plays 15 minutes. And I'm, I'm thrilled because we get a combination of, okay, we have a backup center, we have rim protection, rim protection in quotes most of the game, because you know how I feel about Obi's rim protection, but also we see a little bit more of Obi and Randall together. And we, as Stacy alluded to, we're building towards having a plan B if, and when somebody takes away our plan a of, okay, Noel is super exploitable on offense. We're just going to scheme like what the Suns did against us. We're just going to scheme the hell out of him. And we're going to make him beat us in pick and roll. We're going to ignore him completely and good luck having Noel beat us. We need to have a plan B, plan B against these smart teams. And to me, it starts with just hedging a tiny bit in your minutes allocation and letting Obi be the one to come off the bench for Mitch, letting him and Randall have those couple of minutes together. And then all of a sudden, when somebody blitzes us, when somebody throws a punch at us, we have a plan B and we have something to fall back on, as Stacy just said. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, um, look, I talked a little bit about the rim protection. I, I think that it's worth talking a little bit about Jericho Sims, who like, look, I've I thought it was pretty premature when people were talking about like, oh, will he take Mitch's spot uh, early in the season and preseason because he was fun. Like he's a fun player. Obviously, you can see it was easy to see even in summer league kind of like how direct that path for him to like, like what he needed to do to be a functional NBA player. Uh, given his size and athleticism, like, uh, honestly, just a fucking crazy athlete. Just, like, spectacular athlete. Um, It was easy to see that. And, he, you know, he flashes some touch around the rim. Decent amount of, you know, decent back-to-the-basket game. Nothing advanced, but a guy who who can get you a bucket down there. Um, all that kind of stuff. It was very easy to see. But, you know, obviously going from that to NBA level is, is very hard. And he showed some of his struggles early in the season when he did see minutes, even in preseason. Um, struggled boxing out um really didn't know what the hell he was doing on offense a lot of times uh i will say what we have seen from him when we've seen him recently i don't know what they're doing with him in practice but it does look like progress has been made in a lot of areas um i do think the hawks in some ways were a good matchup for him but uh you know like i thought even when he played against was it chicago i think he played against like I, i thought he looked okay in that game like i didn't really have a problem like that I know people were like, "Obi needed to play more," and I agree, Obi did need to play more. I just didn't think um, it was necessarily because Sims struggled. I, I thought Sims actually looked okay in that you game. You about the Chicago game or the Phoenix? Game?
1: Yeah, the, the, the Chicago yeah, game. Yeah, Chicago game. I had less of an issue with the Phoenix game. Was where I was annoyed that Obi didn't get as many minutes um, because they were getting blown out. Um, in retrospect, I think I was probably a little premature there because uh, it looked like he had a couple of defensive lapses in the fourth people were like, well, he's not shooting well, and I was like, yeah, but when he is shooting well, you don't let him play through it, right? So, when is he going to get minutes? Um, but in that game, he went back in at the end, so my guess is that that was probably just a teaching moment from Tibbs where he wanted him to, he wanted to coach him up before putting him back in, so that that, that one's less concerning. With Sims, I don't know, um, it's it's a great option to have. Um, it is the kind of, that's, I mean, you, ha- you, you don't want to overweight this Hawks series, but that's what killed them, and that's what has killed them, right? Teams with playmaking point guards and a role threat. Where and they just general them. energy. Like, yeah. like general energy. Like, I, I but know... T- like, look, even is- Ta- Taj has energy.
0: Right. But, like, it's- but it's
1: that it's that mobility. It's the things you can't teach. And yeah. Sims, we were worried about all the stuff that you can teach. And it remains to be seen whether he can do that consistently. But on on Saturday, right. it looked like he had all those things. Uh, I viewed that game from very much, uh, you know, rose-colored, maybe blue-colored glasses. That's the common color between the Knicks and Michigan. <laughs> but I was in too good a mood, probably, to be as critical as I normally am. But from what I saw, yeah, when also Kemba
0: wasn't playing, so I was like on cloud nine. <laughs>
1: um, but um, but he gives you those things that, that Mitch used to give us. Uh, I, I still think is in there with Mitch, but um, but he combines that with with great hands and offensive capability that Noel doesn't give you um and and it's it's a different look right now than we have from anywhere centers
0: yeah look i i, I look I, i've i've long been a mitch supporter mitch believer whatever you want to put it um i still believe in mitch i still think that like you know he can get there to be a, a special defensive player what i will say is He's no longer, this is not his rookie season. This is not his sophomore season. This is not even his third season, right? This is like his fourth year in the NBA. I know he's had injury issues. I know he's working his way back from injuries and now concussion, but like one, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence when like every single game he's played in this year, at some point he's basically limped off or sustained some kind of injury that makes you think he like is about to be out for the season. It, it, it is it is what it is like that that's existed and that is concerning obviously because he's coming back from a long-term injury you want to see him get through games without issue and and just generally be durable so it it raises more concerns the other thing is mitch made great fanfare of putting on a lot of weight and i supported that decision even if probably he overdid it gaining 40 pounds maybe 20 pounds would have been better whatever doesn't really matter not related to the point i'm going to make part of getting stronger uh presumably was obviously to defend it better in the post but also part of it should have been to become a better screen setter and one of the issues with our offensive the, the starters offensively um and just the team sometimes in general at times is the lack of prominent screeners, guys that really put their heft into it. It's a, a reason why I think todge's offensive impact is underrated on this team. Um it it's you know, it is he's not the most dy- dynamic offensive player, but he actually creates separation for the ball handlers on the perimeter because he really sets screens with vigor and he understands positioning and he puts his body into it. Mitch is still out there setting little you know baby screens. Like he's not getting his body into it. He's still kinda like more putting his hip into it than his real chest. Uh he still a lot of times doesn't seem to necessarily have a good feel for where he needs to set the screen uh on the floor. Maybe that is a function of I don't think him and Kemba ever had a very good rapport. I think that was definitely part of the problem. I there was more encouraging signs with Burks. Um but like we still haven't like seen that dynamic rolling game that we thought could get unlocked with the improvements in spacing and general ball handling shot creation from other players in the floor. That's not all because of Mitch, but he does need to shoulder some of that responsibility. And anyway, like the, the lack of screening from him is pretty unacceptable to me at this point in his career. Um, I think that's something that, that just needs to change. And what, and, what we saw from Sims and what we have seen from Sims literally every time he has played is whatever his flaws and, and shortcomings as a decision maker, understanding of the game, reading of the game, that screen setting and the speed with which he rolls after he makes contact, um, it it really does have special gravity and it also forces defenses to have to rotate stronger not just because not just to honor him on the roll but also because the ball handlers are getting more separation when he sets screen um and like when you see that and one of the things that made me optimistic about mitch uh isn't just like his crazy physical tools but also you know when we hired kenny Payne, it was like oh man i can't wait to see mitch with an actual fucking big man coach i don't think it's inconceivable that the Knicks could look at how Mitch is playing this year, his development in certain areas and his lack of development as far as just basic having basic back to the basket moves to take advantage of mismatches or when you catch the ball deep off an offensive rebound or whatever, that, that lack of development from him in those areas, it's not inconceivable to me that they could look at somebody like Sims, who I think is about the same age actually as Mitch, who was also drafted, you know, he's drafted at 58, kind of like an afterthought in the draft. But it's not inconceivable to me that, based on what they've seen from him, they might feel that at this point in time, uh, given the contract situations, he is a better bet for them to focus their development energy on than Mitchell Robinson, given the contract status, especially, that is looming for Mitch after the season. Um, And, you know, does that mean they should punt on Mitch right now? No, I don't think that that they should. I think that would actually be really unwise. You know, we've talked about Noel. Noel hasn't been Iron Man to start the season either, less so than Mitch. So um, I don't think we can toss that out. And Todd, you don't want to put him in a situation where you're depending on him every game, you know, because he's 36. He's obviously missed now a few games with a groin injury. Um, You don't want to put him in that situation. You don't want to be in that situation. Uh, But keeping Mitch, like, and even if these other two guys are hurt, it does leave you the opportunity to play Sims in that ventral um, and get him some meaningful minutes and seeing how he reacts to them, how he plays in them. And, you know, I think the signs lately have been like, again, very small sample you're working on here. I think something probably like 25, 28 minutes or something between the Hawks game and the, um, the, uh, the Bulls game or whatever it is. Um, but you know, when you see kind of like how he's Progressed in certain areas, I think it's not unreasonable to be like, yeah, maybe this guy is a better bet for us long term. And, you know, I just, I don't know what is going on. Like, I don't know what is happening with Mitch necessarily. Like, I don't know because there are times where he looks spectacular and there are times where you're like, oh my God, can he even get up the floor? um There were times in that Atlanta game where his defense was great at the rim and there were other times where. It looked like any time they put him in a pick and roll, they were going to get an easy lob because he was just stuck in no man's land and he had no gas to get up off the ground to contest shots at the rim. Um, I, I don't know what you're getting from him, but he has to figure it out because if he doesn't get his stamina up, if he doesn't, if he can't just stay on the floor, um, then this team is going to have to make a decision on him, and that decision is not probably not going to end up with him being a Nick beyond this season. Um, whether that be because they pull the plug and trade him at the deadline or whatever it is. He's got to. He's really got to pick it up because um, the the flashes are no longer enough. And if the flashes were enough, they got a guy who's doing that uh, and is on a much favorable, more favorable contract as a two way player, uh, who they have locked up on a two way through next season. Um, so I I don't know. Sims is a very interesting player for me just in terms of his skill set and what he's flashed um, because I think the functional athleticism of him offensively really trumps anything not just athleticism but also his willingness to screen but that combination the willingness to set screens given his body and his functional athleticism where he can actually just catch the ball even on switches and and do something with it around the hoop which is not something you can do with mitch uh on top of being in a crazy vertical threat um you know i don't think it's inconceivable that they would think that he's a better bet to make on long term than mitch at this point um so those are just like my broad thoughts. And I'm not, I don't want this to be taken as like, I'm done with a Mitch. Cause I'm not, I just think we're getting close to the time where decisions need to be made. And it's, you know, before the season that was fully team Mitch given the extension and just don't worry about it. But now that the decision was that, the, that the decision was made not to give him the extension and play it out. um, It's on him to earn it. And let's be completely honest. Like, yeah, I think some of the struggles have to do with, pairing him with the worst possible defensive backcourt they could have with Kemba and Fournier in terms of how they exacerbated each other's issues. Um, But, you know, he's not doing enough yet for me to just explain away the the struggles he's had um, on the court. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You guys can just take that wherever you want. But those are just like my very long-winded and broad thoughts on Jericho Sims and how it relates to Mitch. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think we have to pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, it was one game, and besides that game, Jericho has looked lost. We do have 31 games from Mitch last year where he looked like a generational defender. Um, but I do think, um, yeah, I mean, given the decisions that have to be made, given you have this weight gain, which, um, I don't know, Mitch says he's not 100%. I think he'll he'll improve technique and get back to a place where he's more mobile on the perimeter, but if you're not talking about the kind of defender that we thought he was going to be, and that he showed flashes of when he was more mobile, that changes things. Um, you know, Would I still give him the Robin William, Robert Williams deal? Robin Williams. The Robert <laughs> Williams deal? Um, Could have gotten dark there real quick. <laughs> um, you know, the Mrs. Doubtfire deal. <laughs> um, you know, I would probably still do that. Um, I think Jericho Sims is more a developmental prospect, but there is an opportunity there. And if he really shows out, um, I could see them making Mitch expendable. Um, I think I saw you talk about this. If they were to trade Mitch, I would prefer to roll with the center rotation we have now, as opposed to trade him for, I don't think Miles Turner is available now, but that kind of a player.
0: Why don't you think Miles Turner is available? Just curious, because the (laughs) Razors have been playing like fucking hot
1: that, yeah, that. but he hasn't been right i mean the shooting has finally come around he's shooting better he's showing more playmaking off the ball he's defensive ace um and if they were to trade him i think they would be looking for um kind of a star guard so i don't think they would be looking to replace him with mitchell robinson at this point um but i mean if they trade mitch i i, I don't think i think what sims noel and taj can give you is the not and, and, and obi's ability to play that position At that point, I would prefer not to invest heavy resources in the front court financially or uh, pick-wise. Yeah,
0: just just to be clear, um, I don't... I was not one... I I actually would not be necessarily comfortable rolling with the center rotation we have um, if we did trade Mitch in-season, which is kind of a reason why I think we should just keep him. Um, And I think you can find ways to still recoup asset value out of it, even if the ultimate determination at the end of the season is we don't want to keep him. Uh you want to find him a home elsewhere. But uh I also don't think his his trade value just isn't that high right now. So like would I rather just keep Mitch for the season? Um even you know, even if questions linger. Um, yeah, because like I think what you're what are you gonna get for him right now? Maybe a couple seconds? Like, you know, like I don't think like look, let's be real. Derrick Rose last year got a fucking one second round pick in Dennis Junior and Derrick Rose definitely had more trade value at that time than Mitch has right now. Um obviously these situations aren't always <laughs> they are not one for one, right? But uh you get my point. I, I just don't think he's returning you like a first round pick or anything like that right now. So what is more valuable? Keeping Mitch and seeing like even after the trade deadline, what if he just you know, he finally gets his leg under in the last 25 30 games of the season and he's balling out? Like at that point, do we why would you not want to keep him, right? Like so I just think they're better served keeping him for the season unless there is like a trade for like a miles Turner out there because like, I I'm not convinced miles Turner's off the,
1: off the table just because he's playing well. Um, I'd, that, I'd rather, if we were to trade with that team, I'd rather trade for Brogdon. Still, so,
0: so yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's where I'm not, I just, I'm not really short of like a star at this point at, at the point guard position. I'm just like, not really interested in trading for anybody because I think quickly just, I don't want anything blocking or a wing.
1: Uh, I yeah. just don't think the Knicks need to at this point invest a ton of resources in the center position.
0: Well, I guess like that's that's where I put that. <laughs> I don't think it would take a ton to trade for
1: him, right. Like I think so you're slipping him twenty million dollars for the next two years.
0: So but that's fine. I think he's worth that, and I think he's <clears> a really good. Like he's you know you talk about marrying the ideas of like we want to optimize our spacing, but Tibbs needs a rim protector like. Miles Turner is one of the few guys in the league who. Does he give spacing? Even,
1: this, even this year, with the shooting improvement, he's not really drawing the kind of attention. Not yet. Or the not volume that to keep you would up. expect, right? So,
0: hundred percent. But like, I still think it's better than what the spacing options we have right now at the five are.
1: Um,
0: and you're still getting elite rim protection. Like, I think his defense is great. I, I've been pretty skeptical of Miles Turner for a while, but. I think this year has de- definitely demonstrated that like he's a really good defensive player and the offense is potentially coming around. I mean, he's what, 25 years old. So this is not, this is an age where like guys definitely can still take leaps and develop and he might be taking one. Um, so, I mean, look, I, I don't want to get too much in the Miles Turner thing. Cause that's just like more of a theory and an idea that constantly gets connected to the Knicks for a variety of reasons. But like, th- to me, the, the Mitch question is just, fascinating and i agree with you that sims like you got to pump the brakes i'm not saying that like he needs to be a part of the rotation 100 percent now but i do like that they can play him and that he's not a total bum and because of that i think it's interesting uh to see how they manage it because like i can see a world where they're like yeah look we've already made x amount of progress with this kid in what he was drafted in august so in like four months basically um, we've made this amount of progress with him in four months like we think you know our internal kind of like belief is given more time we think that he's on a trajectory to be a starting caliber center um and is that a crazy bet to make maybe but like kind of don't i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they have already considered it um i do think they're like more bullish on him than than maybe, than you would think. Um, And we know Tibbs doesn't just hand out minutes just because there's injuries, right? Like last year, there was a game where we had a bunch of injuries in Atlanta and he just played Randall at the five in the minutes that Mitch didn't play. He didn't give it to like, you know, fucking Omari Spellman or whoever the fuck was on the team at that point. That was was at the five. Um, He just downsized. So I think it does say something that Tibbs has repeatedly gone to Sims uh, in moments where the center rotation has been depleted.
2: Uh, yeah, we had, I don't we know, know, Jeff, had that uh, we we had that game against Dallas that we won in Dallas where we had a couple injuries, and Tibbs just went to like a seven man rotation as opposed to playing like uh Frank and a few other people. He, he played Frank
0: dead. for like four minutes in that game.
2: Yeah. And he was he, he was like, you know what, Randall RJ, you guys can play 45 minutes and not so yeah, I mean your your point is well taken. Um I think the uh the thing about Sims is it uh, not it isn't even so much about whether he's ready to contribute right now. And it's all just about
1: he's also like, older like, than Mitch. Let's, let's remember that. Yeah,
2: yeah, that, that that's that's a very good point. But but still, uh and uh Macri's talked about this multiple times. He and he's been very uh hesitant to uh want to give Mitch the bag, and the point he always falls back on is how irreplaceable is a center like Mitch and to Schwinn's point, if we can just scoop up a guy like Sims with the 58th pick overall, we're, we're not talking about Sims versus Mitch. We're talking about Sims versus Mitch and extending Mitch to a lot of money that'll, that'll take it. That'll eat up a lot of our cap space and handcuff, handcuff the Knicks a little bit going forward. And if this is what Mitch is, if, you know, as Schwinn alluded to it, if his, he's never going to get you know back to the basket game at all, if his hands are never going to get any better, if he's going to be hesitant to set the type of screens that we saw Jericho Sims set last night, I mean, how hard is it to every few years recycle that sort of guy in the draft? Now, this isn't this is obviously very generic, and I I don't mean this as an F U to Mitch. I talk all the time in our Strickland film threads about how Mitch has these things you just cannot teach. And I think he's a massive upgrade over even Noel on this team right now. So I'm, I'm extremely high on Mitch. It's just the idea of are are we really supposed to give him the type of money that he might demand if, you know, Sims can come in And can can we not just over the next few years teach Sims to be 90% of what Mitch is because he's already definitely a better screen setter and it's not close. His wide frame. He's he, we saw it in summer league and we saw it again last night. You give IQ a high screen from Jericho Sims and he's just going to walk into threes. He just, he gets two steps because of a Jericho Sims uh, screen and you don't get that with Mitch and you definitely don't get that with Noel. So he's already our best screen setter for sure because of his wide frame. And then another thing he has that no other center we have besides Taj has is he has this ability to catch balls in traffic and like with his athleticism and his hands, he's very balanced and he's very, um, I guess, secure amongst uh, amidst a sea of bodies. And he's just, Way ahead of Mitch and Noel in terms of handling a ball in traffic, gathering and finishing around the rim. So those are two areas that he's already ahead of both Mitch and Noel. Again, I'm not saying he should. Uh, I'm not saying he should go in the rotation over them. I'm not saying he's ready to contribute. Blah blah blah. blah. But when you factor in the fact that we have to, to make a decision about whether to give Mitch four years, eighty million dollars. Shouldn't the fact that we can just get a guy 58th overall who potentially could just fill in and immediately take over some of his production, that should at least make you a little hesitancy because value is almost entirely based on replaceability. And Mitch seems, you know, if Sims is for real, you know, at least relatively more replaceable than other guys that we should probably – uh, give our resources to and value and value our resources
0: to. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And, you know, look, it, like I said, I, I actually wouldn't trade Mitch during the season because I think the injuries coming off of and all kinds of things he's talked about how he's, you know, he, he said a week or two ago he's playing at about 270 now. Uh, he thinks he needs to get to 260. So like, and there were signs before the concussion that he was really like, I thought he was really starting to to get there, um so like I'm not closing the door and closing the book on him. I'm not interested really in trading him, especially considering what I perceive his value to be right now um i I just think that like Sims is interesting and and like you know again like the, in in a way, like the stuff that we've constantly said about Mitch right like you can't teach these some of these things like some of the things he do he he does like you're just born with it, or you know like that that's it like it's god given talent like Sims has a ton of God-given athletic abilities and just, I mean, his frame is like fucking, you know, he's, he looks like a goddamn, he's, he's just uh, fully developed physically and, you know, he can already just destroy guys with screens in a way that we haven't seen from Mitch ever, like literally ever. I've never seen him set a screen with the type of vigor and muscle that sims does routinely uh and you know like you said with iq and really any guard like you put them with sims like you know you can see it um uh yeah but you know i'm not sure uh you know i, I is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about before we get out of here um i'm not trying to rush us off I'm just generally not sure uh what else there is i guess we could talk a little bit about the hawks game i mean it was we have kind of glossed over it but uh it was a hell of a game and
2: I'd also
0: thought, be interested in uh, previewing the Nets game if, if oh yeah, you all sure. want just the yeah. uh... Nets. Um, funny fun fact uh, from Fred Katz: uh, a, st- a statistical summary of why the Knicks are pulling Kemba Walker from the rotation. Knicks have the best defense in the league when he's on the bench, ninety nine defensive rating, and are dead last, one hundred and sixteen point three defensive rating when he's on the floor. Uh, they are also twenty seventh in offense with him playing and ninth with him off. Um, not all on-off is necessarily indicative of individual player value, I would say that in this instance, I tend to agree with what the numbers are saying. Um, and uh, if you want to you know, segue into talking about the Nets, uh, and about the Hawks game, like I thought those were the Hawks game. I thought if Kemba played, we were going to get killed. Because I just see no way that Trey isn't just destroying him on every possession. And we had trouble enough with Trey, but a lot of that was just because of hot three-point shooting um and you know against the nets like uh, it would have been it would have been tough i don't know exactly where you hide him even on a team like that like theirs which lacks hide him on Irving. Right? yeah you could do that it did. Look, i Look, i think tibbs has got that memo um but yeah that's kind of where i'm at with cambo where it just it it felt like every game you're looking at and you're like well this is going to be a tough matchup well this is going to be a tough matchup well this is going to well, be a tough matchup and at some point to keep saying that it ain't just about the matchup, it's about the guy,
1: yeah. Um, so the Hawks game, what I'm interested in hearing from you guys is how much of that is sustainable, how much of that had to do with Burks being in the starting lineup. Um, Burks actually shot four for 12, obviously, he had a couple of big shots. Um, he had, I mean, I mentioned it before, he had one play I loved, um, where he tagged Capella and stole the ball. Yeah, that was a great play. Um, he looked like Ed fucking Reed there. But, um, you know, how much do you think that was the driver? Or was it just, you know, this is a Knicks team that plays up and down to its competition?
2: Wait, Burks was four for 12 against the Hawks?
1: I believe so. That sounds, that's a, that,
2: that's, that sounds like quickly. I feel like Burks was really good and really, he hit four threes in a row or something. I feel like quickly it was four for 12.
1: Quickly did not shoot the ball well. I know that, but he, you know, he had the playmaking.
2: If I, if I, I recall think... correctly, Quickly was four for twelve and one for seven from three, and then Burks. If I had to guess, oh no, like you're right. Burks was twenty-seven for seventeen. I think or something. Burks
1: may have had a poorer game the game before. You're right. Burks had Burks was at a great game. So
2: yeah, um, but still, to your point, uh, Burks just brought a lot. It was, it was, and I didn't see anything. I mean, you, you, you two have better eyes than I do, probably, but I didn't see anything that was that was unsustainable. I didn't see anything that was, like, the only thing that, and I mean, Hawks fans, of course, jumped all over this. They missed a lot of threes. Obviously, Trey hit those two cartoon, or maybe even three cartoon threes from half-court. But he yeah, was, like, one special. runner
1: that was, like, a lamello ball, like, from 22 feet. Justin said, yep, three-point line, he had a runner. I don't dude, know if it was, it was Burks like, or Quickly, or it was Grimes. It was Grimes. But, um... You, you it was like hit, he was right? trying to
2: draw. He was trying to draw one of his stupid fouls, uh, and yeah, it just went in. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gallo missed a lot of open threes, uh, especially like he he was wide open a few times. Um, so I mean, I just didn't think any of their threes. Clean up. I I just
0: didn't think their threes were very often in rhythm. Like I I thought a lot of them felt like I got to get the shot off because I'm open, or else like we're not going to get a better shot. Like I don't know how to explain it. Like to me those open threes we gave up felt a lot different than watching like against the Cavs, for example, where it just felt like every three they wanted was super in rhythm. They didn't have to work hard for it. They didn't like a lot of the threes Atlanta got, yeah, they might have been open, but they had to work to get them. They had to like make multiple possession make multiple passes, run multiple actions, or Trey just had to be like individually brilliant and create it. Like I I didn't watch that game and felt like the Knicks got lucky. And maybe, you know, Baker missed League and all that shit, but like you know, I mean, were the Knicks lucky that fucking they had a skeleton crew at center? Uh, like, You know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what this necessarily means. And like, you know, to the same degree, like quickly was one of seven from three. um, You know, like Julius was o of three from three. Like, yeah, sure. Three there. is a bigger
1: problem than the zero there, by the way. But yeah.
0: Yeah. it Just it's just, you know, I, I don't. Cox fans, like, like did you lose? you lost a game. Like, you know, like, I, I don't like this idea that they got unlucky. They didn't get unlucky. They fucking lost. Um, and, you know, they're probably, they, they hey, you know what they did? get They got lucky because Cam Reddish got hurt, and he fucking sucks. So, like, that yeah. probably helped them in that game that he didn't play much.
1: Um, also, one thing worth noting as well, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this in terms of how it pertains to Kemba, um, but Alec Burke's and Julius Randall were two starters that posted a positive net rating, uh, plus two each. Um, for the the bench, all of them had a positive. RJ was he, plus eighteen. You spoiled the lead. <laughs> I was going to say, who is the other starter that posted a positive? Um, not just plus eighteen, but he had fifteen for seven, fifteen and seven, six of eleven, hit a three. Um, you know, still seems to be working through some shooting issues. But, um, you know, was noticeably more active. To what extent do you think that had to do with Kemba's absence?
2: A lot. Um, yeah, I mean, he's trusted to bring the ball up more. And uh, he's, he's been so, like, if we're going to, and, and he deserves a lot of it, if we're going to ridicule a lot of the stuff he does, we should talk about the biggest area of improvement he's shown has been on the defensive glass, and he just goes. And when you put that next to, you know, other guys who will run with him, That helps him out uh, because, you know, like a lot of the finishes he's had in prior games have been super impressive because it's just him grabbing the rebound. He goes and then it's just like a one on two or a one on three where he like splits the two guys and he uses his strength to, to get to the basket. He had one against Chicago that was a right handed finish where he grabbed a rebound went and there were two guys back and he just powered through them. But last night we saw multiple times Julius run with him. And we saw Obi run with him and all of a sudden he has numbers and we see in the open court where he thrives. um, Kemba's maybe a little bit more methodical and he might hurt that pace. And RJ wants to go, especially off misses and Tibbs wants them to go. Um, Randall had that really nice. And and I think it, it, it affected Randall as well. Randall had that one, the defensive rebound where he grabbed the ball and he just took off and he looked off the defender and slipped the bounce pass to Sims for the dunk. And then we had the other one where RJ got the rebound, took off, and he hit Randall with a bounce pass for a dunk. So I think specifically in terms of moving off misses, it helps RJ a lot and it helps the team a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, I think, I think it it, it helped him a lot. Um, I have felt that like there's been a kind of, how do you put it, uh, I think there's been like a letting go of the rope, uh, with that starting unit quite a bit defensively, where they don't trust each other to cover each other's backs, and it kind of leads to less commitment, less energy overall, and it bleeds into everything. Um, and I'm not saying it's all down to Kemba because it's not all down to Kemba, guys have to take individual responsibility too rj being one he was awful defensively for a week there um that that charlotte game i can't even get it out of my head that was one of the worst defensive performances of. i think that's easily his worst it might be his worst game as a pro it's definitely his worst defensive game as a pro um just garbage um but it's like i just think that it it definitely played a part like i mean didn't you feel like the entire game the knicks were just more energetic and more active and hasn't it been kind of obvious that? throughout um you know the entire season that like that lethargy of the starting lineup has existed like i, I don't think
1: that's lost on anybody and looked well, much it, of that is julius now just kemba right so,
0: i think it, it's mostly kemba i've been saying this all season i think it's mostly kemba i I'm not, i've not been like hiding it i, I know against Ju- the hawks
1: that didn't really change right i mean i thought randall on offense played um you know when he when he doesn't shoot a ton or he misses shots people kill him when he takes a lot of shots people kill him i actually didn't think he played that poorly against um atlanta i didn't think he played a bad game at all i thought he, i thought he had a really bad end to the first half that's specifically yeah. what but in terms of getting back on defense and those things that hasn't changed running the floor he had a couple of nice possessions i don't know if it was you or benji who posted it late in the first uh was it late in the first half um he had a couple of nice fast break possessions in a row he was in the third quarter that's my benji yeah um so he had that, you he know had that
2: one mini alley oop to RJ too, where RJ had the really cool finish. Yeah, and
1: I and I actually I
0: actually think that like things did change. Like it does. Like does Julius? Is he always going to have possessions where he like mopes because he didn't get a call or he missed a shot or whatever? Yeah, absolutely, he's going to do that. You know who does that? Every fucking star on every fucking team in the fucking NBA. Everybody, every star does that. Every single star. I mean, Knicks
1: fans could, are used to one. <laughs> yes if like exactly like, during we, the turn of the decade yeah
0: yeah like we we saw Melo do this we've seen you watch a lakers game lebron does it like and yeah you can tell me those guys have greater track records it doesn't change like how like we've seen i saw fucking levine do it in both games against the knicks like not get a call on one end and bitch and yell at the refs and mope and like you know people are like oh like like julius got a technical against the hawks and people were like losing their minds like how can you do that that's so selfish Like I've seen like every star does that. Every star takes gets technicals because they're bitching about uh, the refs about a call that they think should have been called. Um, I, I just I don't actually think that I think what has exacerbated it is the general like why we're noticing it more like he did that shit last year. He literally did that last year all the time. It was just less exacerbated because the overall energy level of the team was higher and it was more capable of covering for him for those extra two, three seconds. Uh, that it requires for him to get back uh, if he were to not pitch and just simply run back. Um, and I think what's it's making not it
1: is that, right? It's also like kind of, even when he's not pitching, he lumbers up the court sometimes, doesn't always hustle back on D. Those are the things, right?
0: Well, I think it's just, I, I think that all existed last year. It just didn't stand out as much because Obi wasn't playing the way Obi is playing now. It stands out more now because, like, we watch Obi and he's running around like a fucking jackrabbit on Coke, like, just out of his mind doing five hundred thousand things a minute um julius isn't going to play like that he's never going to play like that and that's fine i agree with you that there are mo- like i wanted to sh- like literally like fly to atlanta and yell in randall's face at the end of the first quarter when like quickly came in they had the last possession of the game and julius basically was like no 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 like i'm taking the ball like he literally are waved you sure off- you want to
1: fly in for magic city or <laughs> yeah well that too
0: um but like he, he was like, you know, he, he basically was just like, no, like, give me the ball. Like, we're not going to run anything here. I'm just going to do it. And that sucks. I hate those possessions. He has too many of those possessions. But I also think part of the reason why he has a lot of those possessions is because he doesn't trust guys in that starting lineup. And I think one thing that he does trust Burks, like, you know, he, he might not. He didn't trust Kemba. I definitely think he trusts Burks. We've know, we've seen that from last year. um You know, he's he trusts quickly. I know that at times he does his, you know, like, exactly what he did at in the, the first quarter. But I think he trusts those guys in a way he doesn't trust Kemba. And I would bet that if we stick with this lineup change, I think that all of a sudden the narrative around Julius Randle will change and we will magically go from, like... And I've been critical of his body language two times, which has sucked. I just think that, like, part of the reason it has sucked so much and why it has stood out is the collective lack of energy of that group. I mean, look, like, forgetting Julius aside, wouldn't you say that at times... RJ's exhibited bad body language yeah. and shitty energy Especially and on
1: defense and I, yeah. I but I, I would also say so the Randall I try not to wait into the body language stuff it's more just like if you don't hustle back on defense it's not a body language thing it's just uh and I think it's it's not so much do I think our, I think Julius is committed I think he's made it clear that he believes this is his team he has ownership it's more on Julius's case as well should we be seek, subbing more frequently right whether it's him or whether other people should be mixing and matching more than, you know, is Tibbs MO uh, to keep people fresh. And because it seems like, you know, as much as people are like, you should be able to play eight to 10 minutes in a row if you're an NBA player. Sure. But when other teams do sub more frequently, we do see towards the end of those stretches, the wheels come off a little bit. Right. So. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. Look, I, that's just, I, I have been, I I can't act like I am above it because I have criticized Julius for those very same things. It's just, I just sometimes feel like because you're in it, because you are watching the Knicks every night with like the you know, we all watch the Knicks with a more discerning eye than we're watching the fucking heat or like the wizards or the Mavericks or, I mean, like you want to talk about Mopey, go watch Luca for fucking five minutes. Like that guy doesn't ever hustle back on the events. He doesn't ever stop bitching to the refs. Are are we going to act like, and yeah, obviously Luca is a higher level talent than Julius Randall, but you kind of get my point, right? Like Jason Tatum has played like a fucking homeless man for most of this season. And he's constantly bitching and moping. And, you know, he actually got pulled from a game. I think at one point, because uh, what's their coach's name? Idoka. He, he was like, yeah, you're just bitching too much. You pull them from the game. And I think, Ninety percent of Nick's Twitter would like give up their firstborn child to get Tatum on the team. Still, so like, yeah, I, I think a. Julius. Long,
1: but yeah, yes, or yes,
0: also, uh, but like, I, I think that like a lot of the issues that Julius are fair. I've been critical of them, and he deserves to be criticized for a lot of his performance this season. I, I I'm not, um, you know, I, I don't think like anybody should feel bad for criticizing Julius Randall. Like he is earned the criticism he's gotten at points this year, just like he earned all the praise that Knicks fans gave him last year. You know, like this is all fluid and, and constantly changing the territory,
1: but yeah. you would say that with Kemba out of the starting lineup, you would expect him to, yes. you would expect him to improve.
0: I expect him to improve. I expect RJ to improve. I expect the defense to improve. I expect the overall competitive effort, uh, possession of possession, quarter to quarter game to game i expect all of that to improve and that's i again like i don't even think it's necessarily about the compete level that's with kemba but it's also like
1: it has a ripple effect right when you know that it was the offense for
0: me it was the offense for me more than anything because it's like when you play shitty offense it is really really hard to get geared up to play defense like you know like it's all tied together and with kemba there were just so many possessions on offense where you're like okay well you just dribble the ball up the floor for like you know you've used the full eight seconds to get the ball across half court and then you fucking took like five seconds just to run the shitty two-man bullshit action to get julius a touch 20 feet from the basket and now and it's like that's the thing that really i think is if there is a uh not a pass but like a kind of mitigating factor with some of julius's shot selection and all that kind of stuff i i think it's really hard to just be like yeah dude you got the ball with Twelve seconds left. Not even like you get the ball at ten seconds left. Go make a great play for us and get your teammates involved and all these kind of things. Like you know, I just I'm 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 a little sympathetic to to that element of it from Julius. Um, and I think that you know he has had to adjust a lot, and I think he's going to continue to have to adjust a lot. But I feel a lot more optimistic about the chances of him adjusting um, given the change and given the kind of what the, I perceive the lineup and rotations are going to look like moving forward.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought those was worth discussing. Jeff, thoughts?
2: Um, I I agree. Uh, I feel like the guy uh, in old school, that that was perfect. I, I have no response you know so <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I, What happened, Shwini? Did you black out?
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Not as bad as Saturday I, night, probably, right? So, Yeah, exactly. I do I do think that it it's a good question that Stacy originally asked about the sustainability of it all. Because honestly, I think that's one of the biggest positives of the Knicks season so far. I know a lot of people are underwhelmed, but they haven't really done like when we watched the Knicks last year, it was almost like it was too good to be true. And when you watch Julius Randle continuously hit, like think about how many times last year. It was just, okay, Randall, go to work. And he would hit these fall away shots on the baseline or from the elbow extended. And you're just like, this is so awesome, but we're not that good. This has to stop eventually. And like, you knew the energy on defense. You knew Tibbs' defense was, was at a certain point you were like, okay, this is always going to be there. But offensively, it just seemed like the the other shoe had to fall eventually. And I've sort of gotten the opposite feeling this year in terms of like every time we play offense and we see like the off, like, I don't even think we've seen us be as ne- nearly as good as we can be. And it's like, so when, when, when Stacy says, did we do anything that's sustainable or is everything sustainable? It's almost like it, it's, we we haven't even reached our best uh, point of sustainability. And so like, I just watch us and I'm just, I just watch the team play and I'm like, we can go and repeat this every single night in terms of like the fluidity of the offense and the shots we're creating because we just have so many, so much shot creation and so many different shooters. It's the exact opposite feeling that I got last year. I, I don't even think I've seen five Julius shots this year where I'm like, okay, well we're lucky that one went in. He's not making any of those. And like, there's there's nothing that I'm watching that I'm like, okay, we're not going to see that again next game or that's going to go away. It's totally the other way around. I'm like, just wait until we actually start making shots consistently. Like, I, I don't know. I'm really high on what we can be still. Yeah, I think, um,
0: like, look, all it takes, all it ever takes is one run. Like, it just takes, like, last year, the Knicks were basically a 500 team for most of the year, and then they got hot. And they got what they won nine in a row, was it?
1: Is they right? also decreased Kemba's or Elf's minutes, but wow, nice, nice
0: Freudian slip there. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: like, like obviously encouraging have... for this year, right? If that was the roadblock, yeah. then yeah,
0: and I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm expecting that. Like, I again, I, I don't, I know that it might come across as like me gleefully taking pleasure in it because I've been very, very vocal about Kemba, um, but like, I. I don't take pleasure in it but i also like that's what i expect to happen like this is not rocket science you take out the guy oh you I mean he's... you
1: talk about the guy you have the best defense in the league without him you have yeah. it's i think it's 27th in offense with him on a ninth and i mean without we were him worse if... with
0: we were worse on offense with him on the floor this year than we were last year with alfred on the floor
1: yeah like, facts. Like, like, so so if you're talking about a top 10 offense and a an elite defense top five top three now of course some of those are gonna be skewed you're going as benches but, I mean, if that's the level of change you're talking about, I mean, it's like it's like taking a huge anchor off the team. Sorry, you hate to talk about someone so respected like that. That is what it is right now, right? Um, so, you know, and if, you know...
0: And he was only averaging 24 and a half minutes. So it's not like those numbers are so skewed where it's like you're not... Like, it involves no minutes against other starters, right? Like, he yeah. basically was not playing half the game. He's played less than half the minutes available this season because he's already missed two games due to load management so like he's played less than half the games and in less than half the total minutes the knicks have played this season and in that other half of minutes the knicks are essentially playing like a fucking
1: 55 team or something yeah exactly. <laughs> so and i think that that i said before the season i predicted 54 wins and i'm you know i think that that kind of potential is there because they've beaten really good teams they haven't been uncompetitive in a game besides the Suns game, um, and so I think that's that. While we're on the subject of net ratings, and you did mention Luka Doncic, I wanted to bring something up. So on the Mavs, uh, if you look at players with you know with a threshold of minutes, let's say at least fifty minutes, Jalen Brunson has the top net rating. It's about eighteen, so it's the biggest on-off differential, eighteen point eight. Who do you guys think is number two?
0: No, like, you know. It's obviously gonna be Frank.
1: I just wanted—I want to take this because, like, over the summer, you're just, everyone you're just trying
2: to—you're just trying to make me mad right now, aren't you? Like, you're. Just I, no, I want to
1: take end. a victory lap because a lot of people were shitting on. I was reminded of how many people said, "You know, quickly, ceiling is lower and all that." Uh, I haven't even taken that victory lap. Uh, if anything, I've been a little bit more muted. As I said today, I'm not opposed to Burke starting over him. But Frank is shooting 36% from three. He's taking a high volume. He's playing 14 minutes a game, which isn't a lot, but it's on a contender. Um, and with him on the court, they have a 97.4 defensive rating. Uh, they are 15 points better with him on the court. Um, and uh, now you have to take that with a grain of salt because their worst net rating is Luka. <laughs> um, but you know the point is he's contributing on a, on a good team. So uh, as a three and D guy that, you know, and and he's also putting a two to one assist to turnover ratio in that connector role, which I think most of us would have agreed was probably his best fit anyway.
0: Yeah, look, I I think there's one thing to be said, and um sorry Jeff, I'll just want to say this and you can go, but um look, last year there was a lot of discussion of why is Alfred paying does it does it matter, the Knicks are winning, the Knicks had an amazing season, like it is what it is. You know, not a big deal that Frank didn't play. It's okay he got lost in the shuffle. I agree, it's not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. It is not a massive deal. It sucks that Frank is now playing well in Dallas and looks to be doing all the things that we always thought, at least fans of his, always thought he could do in New York uh, around better offensive engines. Um, what I will say though is like this is the type of opportunity cost when you punt on making the obvious change that needed to happen last year when you punt on changing alfred payton what happens is you like you brought this up earlier jeff you end up thinking you have to make an upgrade at a position that you maybe didn't need to make it you didn't need to add an external player at you know like maybe if the knicks had just played fucking emmanuel quickly the starting lineup last year or derrick rose or whatever or burks they would have realized, yeah, we don't need Kemba and we wouldn't have, and look, it's not a big deal. Like this two two years, $18 million contract, it's not a big deal. I'm not trying to make it into a big deal. What I am saying though is that these are the type of minor mistakes that can occur when you don't optimize your decision making and then justify it with people like our very own James Marcita being like, Oh, don't get your diapers in a, a twist, and don't don't poop in your diapers because we're winning games. Yeah, it's all great that we're fucking winning games. But there's still <laughs> Sorry, optimal, that would go with it. Yeah, like there's still optimal fucking decision making to be made, and we don't need to fucking bury our heads in the fucking sand and pretend that just because Tom Thibodeau knows more about basketball than us, that that there there's some mythical, amazing hidden logic of like five D chess moves of playing fucking Alfred Payton at point for twenty two mind-numbingly shit minutes a night. Um, like, no, there's no great grand scheme, no upside benefit. Like, like we didn't need to overthink it then. And we don't need to overthink the Kemba thing now, but we did sign Kemba to a two year, $18 million contract to address a hole that in retrospect, if we had just given the guys that we're going to give minutes to now to address the situation, which are Alec Burks and Derek when he gets back from injury and Emmanuel quickly, who is making, who's made another leap this season. We may have never given him this contract and, Again, not a huge deal. Like I think it it works fine because it's salary filler. Again, I really don't think it's a big deal that they gave him the contract, but it it could be a big deal in the future if you fuck up something like that. And it, it might not be like a small potatoes thing. And you might not have guys on your roster that you can just easily plug into the into that gap and and get the upgrade that you were looking for anyway. So uh, is it a? And look, I I don't think again, I don't think it's a huge deal that Frank isn't here. But like, would it have been nice if? We had just done that and, like, you know, we had started IQ and stuck Frank in the bench rotation and the bench stayed good and the starters got better and we were a better team last year and maybe Frank stays. Like, sure, that would be, that probably would have ended up being a better situation than what we ended up having because, like, not, again, not a huge deal, but I would assume uh, Frank would have been easily, would have been able to be kept at a number much lower than two years, 18 million. And yeah, it would have been fucking great to keep Frank and get the fucking uh, Knicks haven't signed a rookie player that they've drafted to an extension since Charlie Ward curse. It would have been great to break that too. Um, Again, not a huge deal, but these are like data points that you need to learn from. And to their credit, to Tibbs' credit, uh, maybe he did learn from it. Maybe he did learn from it. And that's why he's been aggressive in making this change to the starting lineup so early.
1: Yeah. And I I also wonder on the Frank point. So so I did not bring up the Frank thing too. Like it was a. I think it was a mutual parting in the ways. I don't think there's hard feelings on either side. No, there's I, not. Th- like that's not. I a, have.
2: I have hard feelings. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> he's there's hard feelings on this side. He's getting 14 minutes. He he isn't changing anyone, but he's he's a good player, right? Uh, I think to the extent that you mentioned that, I wonder if that plays into his thinking with Grimes, since he does love him. He. I mean, I think Tibbs liked Frank. I'm going to put that on the table. Yeah, I've I've always I, thought that. I agree with you because he he and he tried to find minutes for him, even though he didn't think. Even though he likes some of the other rotation players, um, so I, I, I think that's the thing. Um, and uh, but I, I think it's important, yeah. And like that, that's you know there seems to be this medium between you know it seems like everyone is either constantly down. You know the the fans who will find a negative way to frame everything. Uh, side note, you saw that a lot on Michigan Twitter with the fans who were like, finally, or you know, like they couching it and just like, oh my god, everything sucked, and like now it's a little bit of relief versus like fans who are just excited. And you see that with Nick's Twitter, too, whereas, like, you know, there's fans even when we win a big game against Atlanta, it's like, well, good thing we're starting Kemba next game or just negativity. But there's also some for the, something to be said for the other extreme where it's like, yeah, like, like, don't be a bunch of whiny babies. And I guess, like, for some people, obviously, with James, it's kind of an act, but for others, it's not, right? Like, everyone is beyond reproach. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just brought up the Frank thing to, you know, like a lot of people who hated on him like that guy is, is a rotation player in Gambia. I don't know if he's going to be a star or even a starter. He's a rotation player adds value. And then the other thing I wanted to mention with the Randall and Fournier thing, which is interesting, is that they, without Kemba, they have a, a very high net rating, but also, um, their three point field goal percentage as a unit goes down. And what most people will attribute that to is that three-point luck, right? Um, you know, that usually doesn't mean you're just worse at hitting threes because of that lineup. It's just, it's a variance, right? So if that were to, they're already putting up high net rating together, despite the Knicks not shooting, having not shot threes as well in, that, in those lineups. If that were to correct to the mean, and again, those are both very talented shooters, and you're, you know, you'd be adding someone like Alec Burks to that mix, You'd have to think that starts to be because there's an argument that those are our two best offensive players, right? Um, you know, I like Quickly a lot. I like Burks a lot. There are things both of them can do that Fournier can't, but he still may be our second best offensive player. There's Rose, too. Um, but that, nevertheless, that those two could be a potent pairing um, and kind of the centerpiece of an offense uh, if surrounded well. So I, I wanted to add that because I, I brought up their net rating before, but it's worth mentioning that that's actually been dragged down by. Uh, you can maybe you don't believe in the three-point luck thing but uh, if you subscribe to that theory there's probably a reversion that takes them even higher
2: yeah there's a lot of negativity on twitter about Fournier right now on nick's twitter and, and really, randall it, it, well he, but like randall like that comes with the territory it, yeah i'm not saying it deserves it but he's our best player like yes. I, I get i get why people are i don't get why people are overly negative to him, but I get why there's at least like some volatility to the conversation. But Fournier is really, really like sort of confusing because like we, we didn't really commit that much money to him. It's, you know, with, with the team options, like three years, 50, 54 million or something. And he hasn't been like bad. He's been fine. His defenses was never good. We knew that coming in, but it's, he tries hard. He's in the right places a lot. He's just, physically limited and yeah to Stacy's point he's had 20 games to develop like a a a partnership with this guy he's never played basketball with before and the truth of the matter is is him and Randall have shown a ton of chemistry that we should be enthusiastic about and should want them to build on they have this little two-man (laughs) dribble handoff pick and roll with Fournier you know really adept slip passes and him just running around. It's basically a lot like what we saw with Reggie Bullock last year. Um, but with the added element that Fournier can take a handoff and do something with it and he can throw slip passes and he can, he has a floater and he can get to the rim a little bit. So, I mean, I get that maybe people are like, Oh, this was our big signing and he's not going to be an all-star. I, I, I guess I sort of get that, but I don't really get the overwhelming negativity around Fournier. And then just one last thing, because I need to get my Frank rant in. Speaking of Bullock, like Maverick's Twitter has pretty Hate much it. decided decided that Frank is better than Bullock, which a lot of us were on last year. But whatever. Like I, I at least get why Frank why why Tibbs was like, I wasn't oh, on
1: that necessarily. I was definitely on Frank is better than Schmelford But
2: well yeah, yeah, this is where I'm going with that. I, I was gonna I was gonna add the caveat that I, I get why Tibbs trusted Bullock's consistency more. He was just like, I can throw this guy out there for thirty five minutes, but work hard on defense and he can catch and shoot with consistency and he has a quick release, yada yada yada. Whatever. I, I still think that the team's overall ceiling would have been higher if those thirty five minutes were just given to Frank instead of Bullock, but Whatever. I at least get how that's a debate. I get why Reggie played. Whatever. If you're someone who defended Alfred Payton last year playing as he's collecting DNPs and sitting on the bench and being miserable once again for a team, Tommy D, what up? You do not know 10% of what you think you know about basketball. It's unbelievable that this was even a decisive conversation last year. And it's like the most annoying thing ever to me, that there were people like, Oh, we needed him to get to the basket. We need him to shoot 40% within five feet on twos. Oh, we need his penalty. He wasn't doing anything. There if were Strickland like,
1: members who are here, too. So we're, this is coming after our own a little shout bit. Shout out, here. James Marceda. It,
2: it's so unbelievable to me. And it's it's just insane. As Schwinn said, we could have just had Rose. We could have just had Quickly. And this thing we're going through right now would not be – anything we would have a year of chemistry that quickly would have built with Randall and would have built with RJ and we would be in a better place right now both and and I said this a million times last year we're making a decision that is bad short term and it's bad long term and it just made no sense then and I can't wait for the 30 for 30 to come out I can't wait to hear what it is that (laughs) Elf had on he had to have something there had to be something it may it's just it's so logical it doesn't. It never. It didn't make sense then. It doesn't make sense now. I need to know. I need. I need. It is like be being like shitted
1: thing. on during sex. That's the, <laughs> <you know. laughs>
2: there. There had to have been something. It had to have been be Dolan. It had to be Rose. There had to be. It just. There had to be something. I'm sorry. Like that's it. That's the last thing I'll ever say on this pod about Schmelfridge Baten, as Stacy just said. But it's just so incredibly baffling. And here we are again. We're dealing with the fallout of it still where we just are that's just yes it's it's not
0: and it's like it's like like i said it's not like a huge deal like it's not a big deal it's not massive but there is a fallout and you know we have to deal with what that small out is or what that fallout is rather and um yeah i mean that sucks um but you know again i i I don't want to make it into a thing where it's not I, i don't think it's this massive huge deal but it is a thing that happened and is worth mentioning, and it's also worth noting that at least we're not repeating the mistake, which is you know, that's the unforgivable thing, right? More than uh, the original unforgivable. mistake, yeah. Uh, the, the The original mistake is forgivable, but when you repeat them, that's when it becomes. No, I, was, I was
1: referencing that YouTube video, uh, I you remember from back in the way. I, I do, I do, um, but yeah, look,
0: uh, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Uh, thank you for listening to the pod today. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here?
2: Um, no. Just keep uh keep following the uh the film threads. Follow Strickland. Subscribe to the Patreon. You know, we've got uh I've got some. I've got a few article ideas coming up for the site, but I'm kind of I want to keep it close to the vest because I'm me and Alex are talking about it a little bit. Uh, so but that'll come out eventually.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh, Jeff, thanks again for coming on. And uh, if you're not following Jeff on Twitter, definitely do. Uh, he does a lot of great film work for the Strickland and um, in general. Uh, all right, uh, Stacy, is there anything that you want to plug before you get out of here? No, yeah. I'm good. Uh, it's fun. Uh, thanks for coming on, Jeff. Yeah, yeah thank I you all for
2: nothing. having
0: me. I always love it. Absolutely. Uh, I got nothing to plug, so I'm just going to plug uh, Go Blue beat fucking Iowa. Uh, on saturday get to the college football champion or the playoff rather that'd be fun uh other than that uh, i just hope the knicks uh i would love for the knicks if the knicks won both games this week that would be lovely uh, a very nice early return on on the uh the decision that tibbs has made um but uh yeah that that's our show for today uh hope everybody has a great week and i will see you on friday